Hello once again, and welcome back to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali, and we've got the usual crew here today once again. Joining me, I have George Foster. Hello, everyone. Josh Torres. My name is Josh. Josh Garland. <laughs> Adam Vitali. Hello. James Galizio. I can't believe Kurono Kiseki is good. And Chao Min Wu. I can't believe people are trying to kill me again. So this is the week that we were looking forward to. It is TGS week. It is all but over. There's a few more streams, I think, within a couple hours of us recording this podcast. By the time you listen to it, it'll probably be done. Uh, dovetailing right off the uh, news from the Nintendo Direct last week into Tokyo Game Show this week. So it's been an exciting couple weeks for uh, RPGs and video games in general. Now, to kind of set expectations, uh, this TGS has kind of taken the focus of elaborating on games and giving us details for things that are already announced. Uh, a lot of which is there's a lot to chew on there. There's a few other like new brand new announcements as well. Some of them that are actually quite surprising, but not really like the headline of how this TGS has felt over the last couple of days. So I know that Adam and Josh particularly have been sleeping at odd hours to try to catch everything as it happens. So they are probably half asleep at their desks right now. I am not because I'm, I slept like a I am person. sleeping right now. I am. I, it's, it's like even more than TGS for me also. I've, uh, I've had other endeavors to work on too that we'll talk about in a bit. And I, like a reasonable person, just watch the trailers, you know, once I woke up at noon, like a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I'm jealous. So when talking about games we've been playing this week... Uh, there's a few indies that we're going to be looking at here uh, and a few other non-RPGs, but it seems like the thing that we're going to be talking about first is the highly anticipated release that many of us will not see for a while, and that is Kuro no Kiseki. And at the start here, I'm going to say that uh, we've had one person who has imported it, one person who has been watching a playthrough. Uh, we realize that English-speaking fans of the trail series kaseki series won't have access to this game for several years so these are going to be general impressions spoiler free uh, so just just kind of oh, give you a heads up hmm? i was going to talk a little bit about stuff in the prologue but that was okay all I was gonna... so we will we will talk about prologue and premise obviously we will have the timestamps. so if you want to go in absolutely blind you can skip to the uh the next game on the on the list but I am going to hand it over. The, the two people that are going to be carrying this conversation for a bit are James and Josh. Uh, James is the one who has been playing it himself. And I will hand it over to him to kind of lead us off on what your initial impressions are for Kuro no Kiseki. Okay. So first off, um, shortly before launch, we got the confirmation that uh, Kuro's writing staff was made up mostly of the Hajimari writing staff, or Trails and Reverie. Which one of the things I said in my impressions that went live, uh, it was this week, right? The Hajimari article. I think it was, I think it was like, yeah, either late last week or early this week. Yeah, it was like eight there. days ago, like just over a week, something like that. Yeah, so as I said there, I was hopeful that the same writing staff would take control of uh, Kuro because uh, Hajimari has much better pacing and much better character writing. And who boy, let's just uh, start off right here with something that I think Josh agrees with. Vaughn might be the best protagonist in the entire series. He's my favorite so far. Uh, just to, just to, just for context, like uh, I've been 
watching a friend's playthrough, a private stream of it, uh, a playthrough of it, and we've been uh, like he's pretty fluent in Japanese, and you know, he's uh, him and I are able to kind of live translate it for other friends on like you know as he's playing it and whatnot. So I've been I've been right there with him, like he's about about forty hours in, and I've been right there with him all the way through. So uh, it's he's he's just he's a very impressive protagonist. Um, I, I guess to set the stage on like what distinguishes him like from past trails protagonists is um, when you think about past arcs of trails, like you think that Liberal arc with Estella and Joshua, when you think of Crossbell arc with Lloyd, when you think of Cold Steel with Reen. They all came from a, a position of like they were novices with Estelle and Joshua. They were uh, still trying to become bra or you know were novice bracers with Lloyd. He's like on the first day of the, jo the job for the, for the uh, police force. And for Reen, you know, he was like uh, basically a transfer student and whatnot. In uh, in Kuruno Kiseki, you have a brand new protagonist with a Van, Van Ark ride, and they were already getting into. Uh, a perspective from an experienced person. He's a he comes from someone that has a lot of history, and we we're kind of already getting a glimpse into his life. Like like you know, as it's going, he's not coming from like, oh, this is my first day on the job. He's like he's I've been doing this for a while, and his occupation um, is sort of taking like the dirty jobs that the both the police force and the bracer guild won't do. Essentially, he's kind of the. He's more delving into the underworld sort of things. If you were and like, if you're taking the, the the terminology the game uses, and it's really funny terminology, where like front facing, like the front end of the world type of stuff, or the cops and the bracers like handle like sort of like issues that do matter, but it's more of like like more open to to like interpretation. The, yeah, yeah. While, like a good example is is that early on, I guess this is technically chapter one, but it's not a major deal. Like one of the first like actual jobs you're given is uh this uh one dude, his friend and coworker at this uh apart well this uh, department store stole money out of the register and he's worried about him because he knows the type of person that his friend is and that he wouldn't do that without a reason. So he doesn't want to report him to the cops or the bracers. Because he's more concerned about what caused him to do that in the first place to see if he can get um, settled without like people being alerted. Something I like will that. I will yeah. say though that the way you described that, I actually do kind of like how quaint that is. Because like obviously over the Cold Steel arc and uh, and based on what I've learned for Reverie, that everything's kind of really escalated and escalated and escalated. But now it's just kind of like we've hit reset in a way. So now we can craft a story, at least for an, or an early chapter. Around, Early on, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah this, around this is, something like stealing money from a register. Yeah, and this is like you know, this is all in a brand new region, like in the in the like we haven't seen the Calvert region, uh, like like intimately, and now we do. Like this all a, a lot of like the like the hub area is the Calvert capital, and obviously you go to other places around Calvert, but like the like you finally get like a kind of a something that doesn't have the baggage of like a lot of trails games behind it and whatnot. And uh, like on my comparison earlier, like while those factions have like the front-facing problems, his uh, agency, uh, like I think it's called Spriggan, yeah, Spriggan, like the he's uh, handles like the back end of things. So they like kind of refer to him as the back solver. That's like the terminology and, they use. And it's hilarious because the game basically, well, what's the best way to put it? So you know how in earlier Trails games you would go to the bulletin board to like get your uh, 
get your jobs. And this one, they even make it a point where it's like, oh, no, no, no. The jobs that are meant for me aren't pasted on the front of the bulletin board. They're on the back of the bulletin board. Yeah, <laughs> oh, literally. Jeez. Yep. Yep. <laughs> like they, they have that own uh, terminology, like uh, the letter four and then SPRG, like four Spriggan, essentially. And um, it feels really refreshing. But like uh, before we go into specifics, because I know James is. Uh, you know, still like you know, uh, early on with this uh, initial impressions, playing it like uh, go for it. I want to hear from your end. So first off, uh, this might sound weird since we're talking about Van, how great he is, and he is. I feel like to a certain extent, he is the protagonist, but Agnes or Agnes, Agnes is the real protagonist. Yeah, yes. yeah, because like for as much as Van is already pre-established. Agnes isn't, so for a lot of the early game, at least so far, you're kind of viewing... The player themselves has probably seen themselves more through her because there's less about Vaughn and his situation that they're aware of. And it's a really good dynamic. I was worried about it before launch, but I feel like the way they treat her is really cool. Yeah. Because she's not just like a... Like, she obviously doesn't have as much worldly knowledge, but she isn't completely naive, and she catches on quickly. She's very smart. She's very observant. And the way that the relationship between um, her and Vaughn, like, starts up and the way that, that, like, he even treats it is really cool because basically something happens in the prologue where she's the first real, like... um, it's basically a client to Van. Like she goes, yeah. to, she reaches out to Van, and she's uh, like, it's it's not. I don't think it's a spoiler to like say like you know this is like the main plot of the game, like very like basic details of the game. So the premise, like in yeah. the pro- yeah, it's the premise of the game where uh like uh Agnes goes to Van and like something has gone like wrong behind the scenes because uh pertaining to her, like uh technology that her great grandfather or was it her grandfather? I forgot. Like uh delved into and now they have their like the thrust of the game is agnes and vaughn like seeking these devices called genesis yeah, and there's the genesis yeah there's and, them. Yeah. yeah there's eight of them there's like it's like this uh weird technology and it's like it's related to agnes's family uh in a sense and yeah, so true. go for it so basically um yeah that's the first real like uh, client you have in the game. And then afterwards there's a really kind of cute moment where she tries to pay him a bunch of money. And he Mm -hmm. says, no, 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 I have a standard fee. Here's all the money back. And she said, but I feel bad. And plus I still want to find the rest of these. How about I just work for you part time? And 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 it's, it's funny because like even Vaughn, like that, that keep in mind that Agnes comes from like a esteemed prestigious school yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in the capital of uh, Calvert, and Vaughn was like, "I don't think I, I don't want to get you involved, you know, because you're still a student at that school. Like the things that I like, you know, I work with and delve into. That's like that's it's too it's too violent. It's too like I don't want you to get you involved. But you know, Agnes is kind of forces her way into it. So it's like they acknowledge that like Va- even Van has like a reluctancy, but since he wants to see it through and she's in, she's directly involved, he's like okay, but like you know." keep yourself safe, you know, like just, I'm letting you know right now. Yeah. It definitely feels like, and the, the reason it even happens is that because of how stubborn she is, Vaughn knows that she's not just going to stop. So he'd rather like keep an eye on her and make sure she learns to fend for herself, that sort of deal. 
you can kind of see that with even like the quests, like the one with there's a never like side quest where the client lost. Well, they were they had their wallet stolen and it was a gift from their parents for uh, turning 20. And it's really interesting because one of the things that Kuro does is that there's less NPCs that you can talk to in the environment or maybe not less, but there's way more people on screen at any given time, but not everyone you can talk to. I think that works out because it makes each of the scenes and each like the city feel much more alive. There's a lot more going on in the background. Like the first dungeon is a subway and every so often you'll literally see like a sub, like a train car, like rush by in the background and I'll get to the combat in a bit, which is, I've been really surprised by the combat, but more importantly, the way the game outright, like, um, rewards you for talking to people around uh, a scene because it doesn't outright tell you to do this but there's little bits and pieces of like these like in previous trolls games you would be given like a question to be like okay what would be the right answer to this and kuro it still has those but it kind of expects you to have like poked around to figure things out like early on it's like okay so where did this guy head to to drop off the item and there would be there was three options. And if you talked around, you'd find out that, oh, it wouldn't have been at the racetrack because there was a derby going on last night. And it wouldn't be at uh, it wouldn't be like downtown because there was another event going on last night. So it has to have been the third option. It, and, it, uh, go, go for it. Finish your thought. And then with the uh, the wallet thing, if you talk around, you'll find out that um, usually when they're given as gifts, they have a message engraved. So once you find the person that ended up buying, well, bought the stolen wallet off of the person that bought it and didn't know, you have to try and haggle down to pay as little for it as possible. And one of the things you can do to make it easier for you is to say, well, since these types of wallets will have an engraving. So one way we can tell that it is our client's wallet is based off of the engraving and so on and so forth. It's really cool stuff. It's, it doesn't change too much about the formula, but the way it's presented really does make a difference. And that kind of goes for the whole game so far, I feel like. Yeah. And then uh, bouncing off of that, like you remember, you, you remember from past like trails games, you had like those things like the bracer point system and things that basically rewarded you for uh, like meta systems that like you know you you did things like kind of the most complete way or the most thorough way possible. In this one, you have Spriggan points, and it's really neat how they present that because Van has already proven himself to be a very experienced, competent person. So like when a situation arises, like he'll usually ask like one of his like party members, like, "Hey, Agnes, what do you think about this?" or Hey fairy, like what? What do you think is the right way to go about this? You know, so it's not really like the the decision or our uh, thing that's in question. Von already knows like what's up. Like say like any suspicious people, he's experienced enough to already know that like that person's suspicious. But say like he'll like say, hey Agnes, what do you think about this? And then like that's Agnes's like that's your spriggan point opportunity of like to to gain those. It's more on the knowledge of like. The player more so than Vaughn because Vaughn already like knows what's going on, and that's how, that's a cool way to convey that because he's already you know he he he's sort of like the the mom of the group as the as the as the game goes on. Uh, so he's like it's just really refreshing to see like he's not a he's not a wishy washy protagonist. He's very confident. He's very he like 
he's seen these types of situations before, and he knows like how to act act cool and keep cool and like think about it like in a very thorough manner. Yeah, he's and- a very confident person, and you see that with all of his quips. I absolutely lost it in the prologue when, um, for a reason that I do not want to talk about, both him and Agnes get brought in for questioning by the police. And uh, when Vaughn's getting grilled by one of the uh, cop, one of the cops, investigators, whatever, he, the investigator outright says, "And why did you drag her into this mess?" And Vaughn basically shoots back, saying, "Whoa." Look, I know, well, that's the best way to phrase it. He basically says, man, are you going to try and, like, like date her? Like, compensate a date her? Like, I mean, I guess a cop that tries doing that won't have money for booze, but you'll get into a different sort of trouble. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. And, and, and it's also funny because, like, uh, when uh, they're questioning uh, uh, Vaad about this, Vaad is like, you're totally right that, like, I don't really want her to, like, travel with me either. You can take her. Like, you know, you it's like, I, I totally agree that, like, she should not come with me. Like, I'm totally with you on that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So and just, just he, he's a great character. It's just, man, I am so, so glad that he's not Rain. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm really glad that like the, the the series is finally taking steps into a really cool direction now uh, with this character and like this cast. I really like this cast. I, I won't spoil anything about them. I th- I I don't dislike any of them. I think my favorite so far is Rosette, and uh, she you'll meet her way later on. Um, but it's just they're they have really cool um, backstories and why like they kind of join up with Vaughn and whatnot. Um, and just like the the clue in people and like the the flow of the game, like it it reminds me, um, sort of like the Trails in the Sky first chapter in terms of like narrative world building and like party, uh, the the rate at where you get party members. It's like it's not as slow paced as that. There are things definitely happening, but it it, it has that same sort of cadence. It sounds like to yeah. me, it's almost like a a Sherizard or an Agate or a um a Randy but in the protagonist position rather than yeah. being so that's that actually on, on its face seems like really interesting to me and kind of like a breath of fresh air rather than having agnes be like the 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 primary protagonist and just kind of repeating the same sort of dynamic again so now they've at least kind of like shifted the perspective a bit which sounds like it ended up being kind of really really good for presenting this place from a different perspective i will say like i i can't say any i can't speak to anything about the ending and how like that presents itself but from where i'm at now like or where me and my friend are at now like this many hours in like the more we think about it like people who've never played the trails series and like want to like kind of check them out like i think of course i don't know how the ending goes but i think this is a good standalone trails game to like just hop into sure there'll be returning characters and like some plot threads where like they'll mention but like the main like main story and like new characters and whatnot i think this is perfectly fine and viable to just like pick up and play on its own and and enjoy it you know and that i think that's key and how's the gameplay i mean we hear a lot about the story and it's going in the right direction but what's the gameplay like so i was skeptical like i think most people were about how the split com uh, command and field battle system would work i think that it's a very good foundation for the series to continue off of i really like the way that it works where 
it's so the field battles are less like something like Tokyo Xanadu or East. It's more like so in previous games, you would want to attack an enemy from behind or use like an assault uh, point to try and get like a an advantage at the beginning of a battle and here it's more like you attack enemies on the field until you get charged for a strong attack then you stun the enemy and then you can immediately switch to command battle and there's your um advantage state yeah and and then the game even outright tells you that if it's just like a couple of enemies it's quicker to not even like go into command battle just do it on the field and it says look if there's a bunch of enemies get your advantage state go into command battle and then once there's like just a couple of them left like feel free to go back into like action mode to like kind of clean things up and it's a really nice flow and i love how um because of the way the game is designed everything's seamless like going from action to command battle it's like there's like no cuts it's just like instant like switch it's really cool and then once you finish a battle it's not like there's a fade to black or anything you just see the information pop up on the side as they put away their weapons and suddenly you're back yeah it's all seamless yeah and it's really really cool so yeah um, i i really like the like you were saying like the the flow of it all like for example um let's take like agnes for example and you're running around at agnes uh, everyone has their own unique like action like move set like Vaughn will hit the, with this sort of couple times um and agnes will like use her range attack for her uh staff so like they, let's take agnes for example and there's like say a room of like three crabs and whatnot so like you're chipping away at like one of the crabs and then as you're doing basic attacks and dodge rolling out of their like uh attacks uh and whatnot um you're building up this stud bar with them uh, as each attack hits and also you're building up like this meter to a charged attack so as you uh when you reach that charge uh that charged attack meter that you have you could like uh press a button to use a heavier attack and that'll uh do damage along with like filling up their stun bar a lot and once that uh, stun bar hits, you'll get a notification at the middle of the screen that says stun. And then the, with the press of a button, you seamlessly go into command action. As you transition into the command battle screen seamlessly, you'll uh, let off an attack that hits all the enemies and then gives them a lot of like debuffs, like speed down, move down, and whatnot. So, yeah. yeah. And so the, that's how you gain your advantage in battle. And then you can just pretty much... Uh, clean up really fast because each hit uh, of your attack also builds up CP. By the way, you build up CP, like your special attack gauge, really fast in this game, and they made it like cheaper to use. So, you know, it, the, like the, the, if you hit 200 on the CP gauge, it'll only decrease by 100 every time you use it now. Yeah, and like the way that S-Crafts work is entirely different this time yeah. around. Uh, you can still like, if you have the requirements to do a, an S-Craft, you can still pop in. But it's really interesting the changes they've made to to the command battle system. First off, you have this thing called the shard system, and there's things called shard burst. And you, so instead of combat links, there's a new system called SCLM, and it stands for something I don't fucking remember what something exactly. Meta field, yeah. It's like it's like a tails battle system. Uh, so basically. Basically, the way it works this time is that you don't have like set connections between party members. Instead, every party member has like the circle around them. And if two party members' circles touch, they will um, support each other. It can be a follow up attack, it can be supporting arts, it can be support, it can be supporting crafts, that sort of thing. And the shard burst system ties into it because, first off, 
Okay, so I'm going to talk about Orbments now, because the Orbment system is completely different from anything else the series yeah. has ever seen. It's kind of like, it's more like the liberal crossbell system, but it's still very different. So you still have lines that um, uh, kind of uh, determine what you can do with your Orbments, but everything is much, much more freeform. So you've got the Hollow Core, which kind of is your base stats. Stats, it's like a master quartz from uh, the previous games, except it does not give you arts. Instead, for your arts, you have something called an arts driver, which you can buy a bunch of and you can insert it. And then you get plug-in slots for your arts driver to add additional arts in that way. And then the actual line for lines for quartz, well, there's like four different lines. I think there's attack, there's arts, there's EX, and then what was the last one? Defense, Defense I think? Defense, yeah, it's like a shield yeah. icon. Yeah. And so the way it works is like the liberal crossbow system where depending on the elemental value of the quartz you slot in on those lines will determine the sorts of buffs that you get for those types of actions specifically. So like you might have um, a, with the shard system, you might have a percentage chance to get a buff to your attack that's a certain elemental property. And the way the shard burst system works is that when you use those shard bursts, not only will it increase the the, uh, the area of the circle around your character, making it easier to link up with people, but it'll also increase the percentage chance of your slotted abilities from occurring during specific moments. So, for example, if you have an ability that lets you kind of send out a shield to kind of help shield a party member, if you have the shard burst system going on, that increases the chances of it happening. And also, shard bursts work in the sense that you can only activate an S-Craft when you have 100 CP, and the character in question is either already, like, using two shard bursts at once, or you have two bars of shard, uh, shard burst available. And... Right. Then the other interesting thing is, is that you start off every fight with only three bars max, but as you shoot out um, S-Crafts, you add more like maximum bars for shard bursts. So as battles go on, things will get more and more hectic because you're getting more and more charges and that gives you more and more opportunities to really go hog wild. Yeah, it's, so a, very, guess, it's a very aggressive type of battle system. It really, it really encourages aggression. So I guess there's like no S craft spamming anymore, right? Like the there old games. A lot of S craft spamming. There is okay. a lot of maybe yeah. I, yeah, I wasn't it, reading it. Like, right. the there's a lot works, of S craft spamming. Yeah, the way it works is less that they tried to uh, make it so you can't spam S crafts, and more like they designed the combat around the idea of people are going to want to use S crafts all the time because they look cool and they do a lot of damage. So yeah. how can we design a battle system where it actually feels like doing S crafts adds to the flow of combat? Yeah, it's it's smartly designed. I I think the uh, the w the uh weird thing about this is like this is the the first full game on Falcom's new engine. It looks pretty good. Like character models have like uh, like they look really really nice on this new graphical engine. But it does have some limitations at the moment. Like for example, you can't skip S craft animations in this. Um, the game even on uh, running on PS5 through PS4 backwards compatibility mode, uh, it still only runs at 30 FPS. And uh, has pretty lengthy load times, uh, yeah. especially for open areas. That reminds so, me, I need to set it uh, to my uh, SSD because I was definitely noticing the load times. And it's like usually on PS5, even if you don't have like a PS4 game on the SSD, just because of the increased like CPU, the load times usually aren't as bad as they were on PS4. But now nah, this one, 
got to put it on my SSD. That's the, the load times are kind of bad. Yeah, that, that's like that's like yeah, like when Yakuza Six initially released on PS4, like you know, it had it had you know early end uh, Dragon Engine problems, and this one you know that does have that as well. Like there's like pop in uh, some character, like when your some scene transitions has like a lot of pop in. So like for this um one story scene that uh, concerning Aaron, yeah. like there's a pivotal scene, like. He was like standing behind someone and then like his character model like popped up all of a sudden like one second later. It's like, oh, there he is. You know. So I will say all credit where credit is due, especially once Falcom starts supporting PS5 and hopefully the the system becomes more successful in Japan to justify it. I will say I still wish they had done UE4, but what I've seen of the engine so far, especially once they start supporting on PS5. Okay, Falcom, you got a point. Yeah, it, like yeah, this is pre- this is pretty good. Like for a first like full game on this engine, like it's pretty all right. You know, like there there are there, there are improvements to be made, but yeah, there's it, it feels nice. It looks nice. Um, I, I, also the weird thing about battles too in this game is like they have like some weird line of sight thing. So like when you take down an enemy, their corpse remains on the field, and you can't like attack over them. You have to like, get out of their way, and like and that this this applies to party members as well. Like if they're in your uh in front of you uh between you and the enemy you can't actually attack you have to get out of there uh get out of their way and like find that line of sight so it's that is kind of finicky as well uh in this but other than that you know it's a it's a really cool game uh i think a lot of people will like it when it, when it hits west i think that if you're if if you're one of those people it's like man this series sounds really cool um i want to give it a shot i'm i think this is an okay entry to like just like play and don't worry about the baggage of like all the other past games before it like if you want to dig into those games after this go for it but as like a standalone game from where i'm sitting at the moment and what i've observed and like talked about with in depth um i think this is a really really nice entry to just kind of tip uh, dip your toes and get get a feel for it i almost feel like reading Sorry, I almost feel like reading Crow or something because I remember like we were kind of saying when when they revealed some of the returning characters, it was like, oh, I guess you're gonna have to play those other games first before yeah, you understand yeah. this one. So, 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 so the interesting thing about this is they have this law, gray, and chaos assi- uh, alignment system in this, and there are certain side quests in the game that give you the option of like, hey, how should we deal with this uh, situation? But it's not like black and white uh, because it, like, say you have this. Uh, this side quest to like, should we turn in these, uh, these criminals? Uh, should we turn into the, the bracer guild or the cops and whatnot? It's not like if you choose the bracer guild, because they're the, uh, their alignment is with gray. Uh, it won't give you like, Hey, only gray points, no, a law. Like you're still going to get some law points out of that. So it's not so like black and white in that decision. You're still getting law points because you're still, you know, turning them in somewhere, but it's just like you did turn them into this faction instead of the other faction. And I'm not exactly like 100% sure what it affects uh, because I haven't seen other playthroughs. Um, but like, since the law is with the police, so that's um, Van's childhood friend, Kincaid. Uh, Gray is with the Bracer Guild that has uh, Van's childhood friend, um, Elaine. And then the, the Chaos faction is the, with the Wei Yu. Uh, and that's that kind of like the triad. Um, sometimes at like some end points in the chapter, there might be a guest character that's like helping you with your investigation, and maybe depending on your alignment, like say you're you're you have you're strong in the gray alignment, like Elaine might join you uh, join up with you at the end point of this uh, dungeon, to, and like so you can try her out in battle and whatnot. But if you're with the law faction, maybe you're, you'll use Kincaid 
uh, instead. And like it, it, it would make sense why they would help you with this investigation because you're cracking down on a case. It's not. It doesn't feel like out of nowhere that they would help you. It's like, hey, they were they were Van's childhood friend. They're helping him out with this case. This kind of this conversation makes me like want to finish up Cold Steel Four, which has been sitting in my Steam list for a while. Uh, even though I know I have plenty of time before we even get close to playing Kuro, but still, it's kind of pushing me to yeah. just kind of get it out of the get it out of the backlog. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely say, and I feel like Josh would agree with me here, is that even if you're like a jaded Falcom fan, Kuro is worth giving a shot. It's legitimately a breath of fresh air, and I and I mean, hey. I'm happy about that. Like the only major complaint I have right now, and this again, this is going to be more subjective, is the soundtrack. Like there's some good songs, but definitely it's like I like the soundtrack so far. There's there's some good like lo-fi vibes uh, going on at the at the Calvert, especially when you're like hanging out at the cafe and doing some of those cafe scenes. Like I kind of like the 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 energy of the sound. It's not like overly bombastic, but it like it, it has like some really cool chill tracks. I'm a and there's and some good things that I like. I will say that I feel like uh, both of us were kind of iffy on the uh, main battle themes when they posted them on the website. I think in context, the battle themes work a lot better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was hoping it's like, you know, that's an out of context thing that we heard, but like, I'm glad that like it's implemented pretty well in this game and it's, it sounds great. Um, I'm I'm really I'm really surprised. I'm because I was like, I never want, I don't want trails games to be bad, you know? Yeah. And I'm I'm glad that this is this is the one that like hey they you knocked it out of the park Falcom I'm I'm happy for you you did it <laughs> only took four other games first well they say hit it off with the starting of this new saga rather than like imagine if this one was well first of all I don't want to say like it's definitive because you guys both have to finish or whatever but uh, imagine if like no Kuro 2 is where they really turned it around it just would have been less convincing I suppose but it seems like this like if they were going to nail any any particular title it seems like this was the one they needed to so seems like it's good that that seems to be the case any other final thoughts on Kuro no Kiseki's uh, before we go on to the next game on the list um I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm like, I, this is the most invested I've been in a Trails game since like the Crossbell series when they initially yeah. launched. I I'm loving the dynamic with between the characters, and considering again, it's the same writers that did Hajimari, which I love the dynamic with the characters there. It seems like as long as those writers stay with Falcom, we're we're in a good position. We're in a really it, good position. It, it, it like uh my friend and I were commenting on this like in the first half hour of this game, Vaughn has shown more personality than Reen has for two games. Seriously, seriously, not not even joking. Like I feel like I have a better idea of like Vaughn's personality within the first five hours than within the first like fifty hours of Cold Steel as as entire like series. It's yeah. it's great. It's it's absolutely great. I guess the one last thing that doesn't really fit in anywhere is that. The little cutscenes with the animations are actually pretty damn good. Like surprisingly, like uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, hey. I oh, I, I guess I, I forgot to mention one more thing is like uh, in terms of like new engine stuff. Like there, there are still like you know a lot of like graphical things on the uh, for the new engines that they have to like iron out as well. Like for uh, for like some hair for like uh, for a specific character that I won't mention. Like. 
there, there was like a one cutscene where her hair was like really freaking out because it was like desperately not trying to clip into her shoulder. So it kind of like extended <laughs> sideways, almost like it had like a skeleton of its own and it looked really freaky. And the, <laughs> And I was like, oh my god, this is like a nightmare. And uh, another part is like, uh, in a certain like chapter uh, way later on, like the interiors of this like uh, place, place like a weird shadow outline that's like very unnatural. Like it looks like everyone has, everyone has like a black aura surrounding them. I mean, that's that's clearly not part of the story. It's just like it's just, like the, a weird indoor lighting type of like thing happening. And, and the and the one and we actually found a soft lock in the game. Where um, we were taking on this boss, and uh, the boss was like, like about to do like a really strong attack. So he uh, he queued in Agnes's S craft, which uh, heals everyone to full and revives any uh, anyone who's down to full. Uh, and like so, he queued it in during the boss's turn, and the boss did a super strong attack that killed Agnes. But then it soft locked because like. It didn't down Agnes, even though like it showed in her life bar that she was dead, but she was still alive. So it was expecting you to still use the S-Craft, even though she was dead. So you're just kind of like stuck on that screen, and you have no, you can't input any commands. So it still has like some weird bugs here and there as well. The the shadowing thing sounds like an ambient occlusion error or something like that. But yeah, Maybe, hopefully we'll sort it yeah. out. But yeah, I guess uh, we will reconvene in six years or however long uh, when the rest <laughs> of us can play this. Or We're going to be here that long? Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm sorry. We're committed now. Oh shit. This is what you I get haven't... for bringing this game up first. So a couple of weeks ago, we actually had a chance to platform an indie game that we thought looked pretty neat. And that was Unsighted, which we had compared favorably to Hyper Light Drifter in terms of how it looks and how it, um, how it appears to have played based on the uh, gameplay trailers from developer Studio Pixel Punk. Well, now we have a chance to actually follow back up on that because Adam has had the chance to play it. So a uh, very kind of different swing here going from a, a Japanese import to a uh, indie game. I actually don't know where Studio Pixel Punk was. Is this one of the... Uh, was this one of the South American developers? Yeah. So uh, this kind of g getting uh, the whole swath of different types of RPGs we cover here on, on this site. So Adam, what have you thought about your time with Unsighted? Yeah, I don't quite remember when I first saw Unsighted, but like, you know, I just saw a GIF of it or whatever. And like, I was immediately interested. It's got that pixel style that's similar to Hyperlight Drifter. It's not quite so minimalistic, but it's still a pretty minimalistic pixel art style and uh it has a similar like uh visual um orientation as well where it's like a top down pixel art game and i was just like hey this looks really cool i don't know anything else about this game yet but i want to try it out just based on retro pixel style alone so what the game is is that you play as a female automaton named alma and you wake up in a destroyed city and you learn quickly that a meteor has landed in this city of Arcadia. And this meteor is just a magical special meteor that gives off kind of a power known as anima. And not anime, anima. And this power basically gives these robots that were created by humans their own sentience, their own wills and like consciousness. And humans were not happy with this. And apparently it led to a war between humans and automatons. And you basically wake up kind of in the aftermath of that, where uh, you're in a sort of ruined city. 
and this ruined city is full of these mechanical kind of monstrosity creatures known as unsighted, the titular term. And what those, what unsighted is, is that when your anima runs out, you basically become feral, like a feral robot. And you lose your sentience and you just become aggressive and attack all the time. So the city is now full of these unsighted creatures. And what you learn early on in this game after you wake up is that you need, and this is where it gets a little bit gamey, video gamey, you need to collect five MacGuffins, Meteor Shards, to create the ultimate weapon, which can basically bring this, bring things back to normal. So the game kind of gives you free reign from there in that it, it, it's, it, it's kind of, it's Metroid-ish in, in style. It's not a side-scroller game, but it's this, the map is sort of like a Metroid-type game where um, it's, a, it's a series of interconnected rooms, and each room has multiple paths to, to many other rooms, and depending on which uh, items you've found and which abilities you have, of course, different paths are open to you. The game will point out to you uh, where these five meteor shards that you need to pick up are, and while it does kind of clue you in on like you should go for this one first or this one second, and so on, uh, it's it's very apparent that you can. It seems like if you're savvy enough, you can kind of just go in any order and do whatever you want, even if it's a little bit harder. You might be sequence breaking a bit, but um, that's sort of the that's sort of the gameplay style is that you're you're set into this ruined city that has different zones like for example you have like a garden area you have like a highway area there's an industrial area there's a uh, sewers and so kind of like you know a metroid game we have different biomes it's similar to that so what you've been describing like I mentioned, sounds like there's been areas where i'm like that sounds like zelda or that sounds like metroid which have obviously a lot of yeah. common kind of very basic gameplay ideas in the first place but um how is the like how is the combat like it's an overhead camera yeah. like a 2d zelda game is it just kind of very very basic or is it more more rpg like just how does it feel to play it's if so the hyperlight drifter comparison comes back in here uh, okay. it's similar in that it's it's an action rpg and um so alma can equip two weapons at any time uh they're one for each hand and if you're playing with a gamepad like i did it's literally like your trigger buttons and you can you can remap it, but I th I felt I got used to that pretty readily, and um, so it's a it's a real time action RPG, and there's a very high emphasis on just like Hyperlight Drifter, it, there's there's high emphasis on you know figuring out enemy attack patterns, learning when the best time to strike is, the best time to dodge, but Unsighted does also put a lot of emphasis on parrying. So anytime an enemy attacks, and this is like 90% of enemy attacks in the game, they will flash red sort of as a tell to let you know you need to parry now. And if you parry at the right time, the enemy will be stunned for a bit. And not only does that, you know, pacify them and they're going to be, you know, open and vulnerable for a while, but it stunned enemies will take literally, it's like critical damage, like five times the normal damage. Um... Maybe not that much, but quite a bit more damage uh, when they are stunned. So basically, what I'm getting at here is is that the parry system, if you can master it, will make things a lot easier for you if you can kind of figure it out. And it's a pretty fun game. It's also reasonably difficult in places uh, in terms of the combat, but it's very fluid. It controls well, and 
there are various types of weapons you can have. Your typical weapon is a sword, like a katana, right? You know, not super high damage, but you can swing pretty fast and get a bunch of hits in. There are also axes, which are obviously slower but do more damage. So those are sometimes more useful. If you can only get a single hit in, might as well make it an axe hit. There's also ranged weapons that you can use, like blasters and things like that. And when you use a blaster, it's they're not as strong. Uh, it turns the game kind of gives it like a slight twin stick shooter sort of feel where you're using one stick to aim where the blaster is aiming and the other stick to move your character. And so you get various types of weapons. And I played mostly with a sword and a blaster, but you can also do like grenade launchers and axes and um, larger swords and other things. The... Uh, so this game is a it, this game was developed by a Brazilian developer, Studio Pixel Punk, and I believe it's their first like product. It's it's a humble games uh, d- published game, and they build it very frequently as a, as an action RPG. So that's why we covered it, of course. It, it it only kind of barely scrapes by that definition, though. Really, there is no there are no like levels or EXP. Um, so you're not you can't grind in that sense or anything like that. And power up but what it does have is throughout this world so like i said it's a metroid style map lots of different paths it also means there's lots of different secrets you can unlock and several of them you can't get the first time you're there but um you one of the things you can find oftentimes are chips so remember you're like a robot and these chips that you can find you can equip like 10 or 12 of them they will kind of alter your parameters a bit. Like, for example, there are chips that raise your stamina. There is a stamina system, like a Souls game, where you can only do so many attacks before you have to rest a bit. Um, You can have chips that raise your HP. There are chips that give you, like, that might suit different styles. Like, there's a chip, for example, you take 20% more damage, but you also deal 20% more damage. Uh, There's chips that raise how many times you can heal yourself and things like that. So... That's where the RPG elements come in, is that you can sort of tailor your loadout in terms of your weapons and your chips. So that's... That's pretty much yeah, it. You know, that's about as RPG as it gets. Yeah, but, you know, it's just, it's just fine. It just So it's, it's not like a Castlevania where you can... Uh, or other Metroidvania-style games where you can sort of, like, have a level and stats and grind them up. You do sort of have stats, but they're just achieved a bit differently. How now, feel like how, like how responsive is it? Like uh, as you're playing around, like is it is it easy to like when you're parrying? Does it feel like okay, this the game is responsive enough for like I can get? Yeah, I, I felt it was very responsive and fluid. Okay. Just like I I don't it's it's weird to compare to Hyperlight Drifter so often, especially when it's like not the same developer or anything like yeah. that. That's just that's just the most obvious comparison to make. It's the most or maybe even the most recognizable comparison. And if, you know, I didn't really have any issues with, like, this doesn't feel like it's responsive or it's not, it's clunky. Um, I have two, uh, there are two things, though. The key novel, like, unique mechanic to this game that I haven't mentioned yet is that you're on a timer. You only have so much time before you fail. And I actually now didn't know that right away. Gonna, that's going to immediately turn some people off. Because I know some people, as yes. soon as they get that, they're like, oh, yeah. I'm no longer interested. Yeah, and I I wavered on it too, especially for like a, a you know a Metroid style game, or if you if you hate the term Metroidvania, these are sometimes called like search action games or exploration action or something like that, like according to Nintendo's page, and so it's a game that the exploration is the key part of it, right? Like once once you kind of get past the story premise, you're just exploring, kind of just going whatever direction you want, 
And knowing that, like, you only have so much time and your kind of things are ticking down, um, my my interest in the game wavered a bit too. And it it literally like every time you enter a new screen, it'll actually like tell you how many hours you have left or how, it's it's in game hours, so it's not like real life hours. And, like it's, so it's it's constantly reminding you. But um, the 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 idea behind it is is that you're an automaton and you're running out of anima, and as soon as you run out, you will become unsighted. But one of the things that you can find as you're exploring is meteor dust. Remember I said earlier that this meteor is what kind of gave them their, their sentience. And so if you find this dust, it'll, it can extend your time. And you can either give it to yourself to extend your own clock, or, and this is also key, every NPC you meet in the game has also their own clock, and it, how much time they have left varies. And even like story important NPCs or shopkeepers or things like that can run out and become basically unavailable because you fight them and they're dead and they're no longer there. We're just um, running away in horror right now. Yeah. <laughs> now, I didn't know this until I started it playing, but the game, it seems like they anticipated some of this hesitation. Um, the game does offer an explorer mode. And the explorer mode <laughs> basically just nullifies all of that. It doesn't nullify it completely. You still have a clock, but as far as I could tell, you would have to be like trying and egregiously slow to have it have any effect whatsoever. Like I think I started the game with, let's just say these are in-game hours, not like real-life hours. It said like I have 500 hours left, and then at the end of the game, I had like 350. <laughs> so it's like okay, I, well, I had more than twice the time, and I hadn't used any meteor dust. So it, it basically just nixes that mechanic entirely it it's a does little it feel, bit awkward that if you're doing go ahead sorry uh, does it feel cheapened though like that like does it make it less interesting like, uh, perhaps uh it's just a sort of the thing where it's just like maybe you can kind of consider it as just like two different modes of play like if you're in explorer mode basically it's just a, a more typical game in this style in this genre where you're mostly focused on exploring look take a look at every nook and cranny don't you know you can backtrack without any hesitation in terms of like do i need to waste time backtracking um it is a little bit awkward that when you're in so i actually did play the game in explorer mode because i'm just like i don't, I can't be bothered with a time limit and if i do want to play with a time limit maybe i'll do that in like a second playthrough where i'm more familiar with the game and sort of already know like how to play and where to go so I am a very appreciative that they offered that mode, but it is a little bit awkward that it's just like, oh, I, I, I'm now holding on to 20 meteor dust, and I don't really even need to use them. Um, mm. And there's these clocks that are around that you're just sort of not interacting with anymore. But, you know, that's, I guess, a fair trade-off. Um, well, so that's... I, to, I actually have like kind of a comparison point. Dead Rising does it like really well. Um and I feel like if you took that away, which future games did, you do cheapen it. So mm-hmm. I, I respect that there's the option. And I guess I did respect that Dead Rising had a sandbox mode. And I can't believe I've made this about Dead Rising. But I think that stuff like that, I think you should try and do it as intended, if that makes sense. You're saying you played it wrong, Adam. Mm. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, like, it's it's daunting. Like in Dead Rising, you know that that first playthrough of pretty much one, two, and two off the record, they're all going to be a waste. Like, that first time you play through is useless. So you just go and you learn for the first first time you do it, and then the second one, maybe you'll get it then, but maybe you won't. And then the third one, that's when you, like, you bite, you go for it, you beat it. Uh, and maybe 
that's kind of tried and true with Dead Rising. I don't know how it would apply to other games, but I I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed like the time management system. Um, so not relevant to this, relevant to the subject, I guess. But uh, revive Dead Rising, please. That made me happy. My my main I mean, I, I had a similar was, uh, was um, the original Fallout. For the start of that, you have to um, find water for your vault before everyone starves or dehydrates. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> And it's a, it's a, it's one of those things where it's like I, even though it does provide tension that kind of puts you on edge, it, there's a, there's like enjoyment that you can kind of wrestle out of that. Even though you feel like, oh, of course I'm gonna just I'd rather play with a mod that disables it or whatever. But there's there's just something about it that I do find enjoyable, where it's where you can't just be lackadaisical and you have to actually like have purpose in what you're doing and kind of be off the cuff and you can't be as careful or as cautious as you want it to be. Um, so yeah, I, I actually so, did. Yeah. It, there's it definitely there. a thrill in that, you know, and I, I understand it. And actually what George said about dead rising, that's that was sort of the way I approached this as well as like, okay, I don't know how long this game is yet. By the way, it's, I, it took me about 10 hours. I'm sure you can beat it a lot faster than that, but the first playthrough about 10 hours, roughly. Um, taking my time and now it's like uh, you know if I want to revisit it because there are you know it does boast multiple endings apparently and there's lots of you know challenge bonus mode things you can do as well like maybe now when I, when I revisit it you know second playthrough third playthrough uh, like alright let me let me incorporate the time mechanic now that I know how to play I kind of know what styles work for me and I, I'm more familiar with the map and there, there are various puzzles in the game as well. So uh, when you're exploring, sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of button switching, block sliding, uh, how to open up a path sorts of puzzles. And now that I'm more familiar with those, it's like, all right, now I can incorporate the, uh, the time limits. But, you know, if that is something that makes you hesitate, like, oh, I don't know if I like that. I do think it is, I appreciate that they do offer the option to just to basically nullify it but i should also mention though there are other the explorer mode what the explorer mode does is it's 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 kind of like a very light debug mode uh very light where it just gives you a few basically cheats and one of the cheats that it gives you in explorer mode is god mode wait so like, in, when you see so basically play the game in god mode or you no i didn't play the game it gives you toggle for god mode oh, so like explorer mode is basically like the debug mode where it gives you your toggles and so like i turned on the it's literally a toggle that just says like slow down the time limit or something like that so i turn that toggle on but there is also a toggle for god mode so you can just play the game invincible i tried it out for a second like is this really just a god mode and like yep it's a god mode just make yourself invincible so if you just kind of don't, if you just kind of want to casually play through the game and want to do God mode, just like an old PlayStation 2 game or something, you can do it uh, if you want. Like, sure, that's that's cool that that's there. Uh, you don't need like a trainer or anything. There's also a there's also a, like the combat, like I mentioned, does get pretty pretty difficult in the later parts of it. Some of the bosses, like kind of, you know, you have to learn their patterns, and the first few times you fight them, you may just get totally walloped. Um, but there's there's toggle to basically make things easier, just sort of like an easy mode in there as well. As well as a, there's a toggle for just like increase your stamina. Just like you know, if you if you're if you're not really gelling with the stamina system, you can just increase it. So there's I don't know. like these. It, 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 it feels like like I get it, I understand, and like it makes things uh, more accessible in that sense. But 
I just feel like that like you're 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 giving players like a free option to like kind of erase the difficulty at a whim, and like and it's so easily like you know just to flip a switch if like it, like I don't know it it just feels like one of those things like I kind of like that you know uh, like some games like kind of force you know the, like the feeling of like getting over something by your own like skill like learning the patterns learning the the stuff on your own and like not giving the option of like making yourself like invincible or making things easier like out of whim through a toggle like i don't know uh, my, I, fa- I, my I kinda, favorite sorts of games are that. games that have like clever ways of reducing difficulty like i i will gladly admit that I play almost all Souls games with like the NPC allies whenever they're available for fights, or, or even or even player allies. Like there are ways to make those games easier, but I, I still do think that sometimes you do just need to have like the option to have God mode or whatever just nested away, just because that way you know you're accommodating everyone. So, but the, the, do you think like say like for souls should they have like just a toggleable god mode you know because like hey i don't want to deal with this boss make me have god mode i would have to think about it <laughs> I, yeah because i i feel like um, there you can always summon like an ally and two players and basically just sit back in the corner and let them take on the boss which is basically like the same level of risk not really so because point, sometimes you'll, you'll you'll make a mistake and like oh like there will be, be many times like i hop into and help someone and like oh like the host screwed up like they 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 died you know and obviously that'll despawn everyone send that send back to their own world so like there is still still a level of like you know you have to you have to make the effort of surviving on your own it's not like all the hits that are coming towards me are like i, I don't even feel them you know there's still a level right. of risk there are a few things about the game that i think are kind of clunky one so, yeah, like I mentioned before, you have two weapon slots, but you also get traversal items. One of the, so uh, this game actually, it feels like on a very, very small level, you uh, uh, it drew some inspiration from uh, The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess because you have one traversal item that's a hookshot, which basically allows you to, like, hook shot across the gap you know to another wall or whatever and then eventually you get a double hook shot and that alone wouldn't would make me think of twilight princess even though it had that but you also get like a spinner just like the one in twilight princess where you like ride it like a top like okay (laughs) sure um two things but um the thing is like the things like the hook shot it takes up one of your weapon slots and it's kind of useless in battle like it, it'll draw an enemy towards you and do like a minimal amount of damage, but otherwise you're not really using it in combat. And then there's also another traversal item that's it's basically like an ice grenade launcher, where you shoot a grenade that's like an ice grenade, and if you shoot it into water or into lava, it makes a platform. So these are the sorts of things that you know open up new paths to you and whatnot. And in later parts of the game, you'll be using these traversal items a lot, but then you'll be getting into combat where they're useless. So what that means is you're going to be doing a lot of menu shuffling where it's like, all right, time to get my hook shot out. Oh, wait, time to put it back. Uh, I got to get my, you know, my weapon loadout out again. All right, beat those enemies. Now time to get my hook shot out again. And it's just like, I wish there would be like the traversal items and the weapons would be like operated separately rather than sort of attached and equipped at the same spot. Does that make sense? Because you're just shuffling through them so often at the end. It's just a, it's just not ideal. It reminds me of the Sorry. Iron Boots in the original, like, time even though yeah, it, it does remind thing. you of some yeah. zelda titles where you can only equip two weapons and you're just shuffling through them or two items and you're just shuffling through them all the time um 
The other thing is, is that uh, some of the puzzle areas in the later part of the game do get a little bit overwrought in terms of what you need to do to open up the doors or make a new, make the path. Um, as one example, the there's like a fiery area. It's like a furnace, like factory sort of area that you you get sort of like this sort of construction mech thing that you walk around in, but you sort of have to like guide it through this temple furnace area thing, this dungeon area. And it's just a little bit, you know, tedious. It's 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 not necessarily like hard, but it is a bit time consuming and it's just kind of like not very interesting where it's like, all right, I need to move this mech from room one to room six and you kind of have to do all these things to kind of get it across. And it's just kind of like, I don't know, I think they maybe overdid it just a bit here. But otherwise, um, I'm pretty happy with the game. Uh, it looks pretty nice. I didn't talk much about the like where the story goes. It's it's a it, the story narrative stuff that you get there. It sort of sits in the background, but you do get updates periodically in terms of what happens. Uh, it's a queer friendly game. It has a lot of diverse sorts of characters, and so there's some representation things there that I'm really happy to see in the game. But I never felt like too attached to what was going on. It's somewhat of a basic story, but. The exploration is sort of the, is I think, the highlight of the game. And the, the time limit stuff is sort of like its unique hook that you can sort of turn on or off. Is this game good, good enough that you think it'll crop back up in end of the year stuff? Or is it just probably not good? Probably oh, so not that good. It's good, but not that good. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's solid. Uh, right. It's on Game Pass. Even better. So you can try it out if you have Game Pass. I do know that we have one or two non-RPGs that people on the cast have been playing, and one of them is a new release that I've seen a lot of hype and excitement for, even though I don't really know much of anything about it. But I've seen a ton of people sharing screenshots and gameplay clips, and that is for a new Melty Blood fighting game, Melty Blood Type Lumina. And I know that this is related to a a remake of Tsukihime, or it's related to... Uh, fate in some way i am not the person to talk about this which is why i'm going to hand it off to josh and i think chow has also been playing this so josh tell me about melty blood type lumina and what it is and what people are excited about for it all right so melty blood type lumina is essentially the a new follow-up to the melty blood series which hasn't seen a, a new release in like about a decade so this is really just kind of the revival of like an old school classic anime fighting game it's uh it's sort of a reboot uh going back to the basics uh so it's not doesn't have like the the roster size on the most recent one because there's like a brand new like fighting game in terms of like systems wise in terms of roster and like you mentioned earlier this is uh just like the old uh melty blood games were which were based on the original like 2004 ish uh visual novel this is based on the new remake of that visual novel asukihime a piece of blue glass moon so a lot, a lot of the character designs have been updated to reflect on the remake designs uh, and whatnot uh, in there. Um, Melty Blood uh, type Lumina, just like the old Melty, Melty Blood uh, games, are is developed by French Bread, and they're the ones who have made the Undernight series, uh, then Geki Fighting, Fighting Climax, um, and the ones who manage the IP, like the Tsukihime and like Fate IP. That's Type Moon. And they're they're the ones who make the visual novels. Um, in terms of like publishing side on this, it's Delightworks this time around, and they're the developers of the Fate Grand Order 
mobile game. So in terms of like marketing, uh, producing this uh, uh, type Lumina game, they're the ones handling that even uh, even worldwide. It's not just for Japan, it's for international release. So they, obviously they have the, the money and capacity to do that because uh, the, the fake Grand Order mobile game rakes in a shitload of money. So they're like, yeah, we can do it. Um, it's a it's a really interesting um, fighting game this time around because it doesn't feel like old Melty Blood games. Uh, my friend and I have been uh, discussing this game uh, after playing through it and whatnot. And Type Lumina is a weird oddity where the more you've played and like older Melty Blood games, the more you might dislike this game. <laughs> I just is... can't get out of the auto combo in this game. I, I despise the auto combo. I wish it was kind of simplified to one button. Instead, every button leads to auto combo if you mash too hard, like one button too many. It's like I press like C or B one too many times, it goes into the full auto combo chain. Oh, yeah. So let me go clarify that. Like, it is like uh, different also, like, you know, in terms of like, accessibility, right? So like in these fighting games, you know, you have a light attack with uh, bound to A, uh, medium attack, which is bound to be these, these are just like in-game connotations, not like not like representative like the of games like button bindings. You, you can you can custom bind it to whatever button you want, but like how it's represented in the game notation, it's like A, B, C, light me, attack, medium attack, strong attack, and then D is your shield, and then whatever uh, you buttons you assign to those letters is up to you, whatever's comfortable to you. So in this game, like in many other previous fighting games, like let's say Persona 4 Arena. Um, where they uh, have auto combos, where you just like mash like the one button, and then the, as you mash that battle button, it'll like do an auto combo for you. It may not be the most damaging, but you know it's it's a combo, and people like just want easy combos if they don't really like want to learn the game in depth, which is fine. So like, at least in like the case of Persona 4 Arena, it was only bound to, like the uh, like the let's say the A button in that game. Like you just press A A A A, and then like it'll do uh, an auto combo in Type Lumina, auto combo is bound to both uh, all A, B, and C. So, like, say you bash like A, like, like uh, a number of times, it'll do an auto combo. If you mash B this, uh, a couple of times, it'll do an auto combo. C, same, uh, uh, you know, same thing. So, the thing that really trips up people is like they had to um, kind of be very clean with their inputs in ba- in battle because, like, if they're trying to do a certain combo. They can't button mash that combo out because it'll just lead to an auto combo, and that's not something that they want because it may not be like the 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 optimal damage combo that they were trying to do, and it's it's really annoying in that aspect because it's a very responsive game uh, in terms of inputs. So you can have to like discipline yourself to not button mash your uh, way through that, which is kind of. Uh, antithesis to the old one where the old one was very freeform and loose and it didn't have auto combo so there wasn't like any sort of like accidental like way for you to like get an auto combo out in the old ones because they didn't have that system so like even if you like mashed out a combo in that one at least you could like chain them together and like it felt like your own custom combo instead of like the way that the game system intended it for you through the auto combo if that makes sense and you can't disable it there's that the only way you can disable it is like if you hold back as you're pressing the combo as you're pressing the buttons. So you have to hold like the opposite direction as you're doing the combos. It just feels very awkward. But that's the way you can disable it. There's no there's no like option toggle in the menu like this because that's just an integrated part of the system. I wish it was a toggleable, but uh, it's yeah, not I wish I could turn it off because yeah. you lose so much damage when you're 
you know, when you're doing auto combo versus doing the combo manually. And these aren't like super difficult combos, really. It's just that you had to press it with a certain direction. It's like B, then down B, then it's off C. But the input, it's like maybe you press B a little too many times. Like if you press B, B, down B, and now it's it goes to the auto combo chain. Now you're fucked up. Oh, that that's the weird thing is like, it does. I'm going to be honest with you, Chow. It doesn't really matter because damage in this game is very homogenized if you don't use your super meter. So, like, if you do an auto combo versus, like, an optimized combo that you do, it's maybe, like, like 100, 200 damage more in that optimized combo. But, like, in the the grand scheme of things, that, like, that doesn't really mean a lot. So even if you, like, accidentally mash out an auto combo, it's still, like, kind of, like, whatever, you know? It's, like, because the damage that you were going to get out of that optimized combo, it's, like, it doesn't really matter unless you're like taking the game super seriously and competitively. So I mean, like optimized combos is a thing in this game, but it's like not a big deal, uh, which is feels super weird. And this is why I I feel so conflicted about this game because it's so different. Because like at least in the older Melty Blood games, you can get really really damaging combos out of like just basic attack strings and however you decide to like craft them. Uh, while in this game, damage feels super homogenized and like kind of flat across the board, uh, un- unless you use your super meter, and then like you know, with your super meter, you can do like ex moves that like uh, like alter their properties. You can use them to use supers. You can use them to go into this like uh, they call it forced release in this game. It's kinda, we call it heat mode, and uh, and like older melty blood terms where like once you go to uh, heat mode, all your Health that like is recoverable will be, will start to recover. So like as you take a hit in this game, there'll be a certain amount of damage that like you see in like in a darker shade of blue in your HP bar that like um you can recover that health once you go into heat mode. And this is like the same as in older titles essentially. And like as you're in heat mode, uh you can also uh have access to like even more damaging supers and whatnot. And then, so that's how you get really, like, really big damage out of this game is by tapping into those supers. But that, it feels like that's the only way to get really super damaging combos in Type Lumina, unlike in older Melty Blood games, where you can, like, get really damaging combos out of optimized combos. Unlike in Type Lumina, where optimized combos only just barely do a little bit of that more damage than the auto combo. You know yeah, what I mean? I don't think you really care about the damage too much in this game. You rather use that bar to open up your opponents. It's so hard to open your opponents up in this game. And matches take very long because of it, right? Yeah, because of the way they handled shield system, they really revital like, uh, re like I don't know the changes to the shield system in Type Lumina is uh, something I'm not a, a fan of. Um, basically, in older uh, games, uh, it gets really. I'm not gonna get into the nitty gritty of how older games uh, did it because they had like they were very very different uh, systems wise because they had like three different moon styles and they all played very different for that character depending on their moon style. That's all God in Type Lumina. You pick the character and they play the way they play. You don't have to pick a moon style or whatnot. They have the they have the same move set because they're just that one singular character. Unlike in the older game where you had three different styles you can choose from for per character. Um in in the older titles, generally, you know, when you shield, it's a very basic, hey, you use the shield, you can you can counter back if you if you shielded properly an uh, attack and just get like a basic counterattack get off me button. Um generally speaking, it'll have different properties depending on moon style. In this game, when you hold down shield, in the older games, it would consume a resource. I think it would consume your super gauge if you held down shield. In this game, it doesn't consume anything at all. Um, 
I, it would only consume another bar that I, I, I'll get into a little, a little bit later. But uh, if if when you shield, you have one of three options that you can do on a successful shield. So when that uh, attack, when some, your opponent throws out attack like a punch, and you shield it with the shield button, you can either one press the A button and I'll do an immediate uh, counter attack that will launch them into the air, and then you can follow up with whatever air combo you want out of that. Or um, if you shield an attack and you press B, you'll teleport behind the opponent and do like an overhead attack after you teleport behind them. Um, so it's really good for like, say, like a character is like spamming like projectiles at you and you want to close the gap very fast or you want to uh, mix up your opponent and whatnot, you know, teleporting behind them is like, you know, a generally good idea, a strong idea. Um, or if you... Um, I'll cancel it with an X move. I, I remember I seen a friend doing an uh, X move and to cancel it with the shield follow up. I for, I forgot what I forgot what what happens if you press C after a shield move. I I, forgot. I think C is also launching your opponent up, just okay. like the A button. Um, but yeah, and then the the shield button. If you if you shield and you press B C at the same time, you'll do like an invisible invincible rush attack where like you attack diagonally and like and then if you hit them, they'll be like basically in a state where they can't do anything until they fall to the ground again and it launches you pretty high up so if you get hit with that move like you're basically at the you can't do anything for a while that because... thing should cost two bars if i remember it's like a get out of jail free card sort of thing because it, it, this... it, 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 it only consumes the resource if you whiff it i think but if it hits i think it's free if i remember correctly um i'd have to look into it again but it is a very strong thing but you know what so this is uh, this forces a lot of uh, forced rock paper scissors situations where you already see matches in this game both casually and competitively, like where opponents will shield and then teleport and then like and then you're forced like should I shield again or like block or whatever? So you shield again and then you teleport behind them and then like that person is like okay should I shield or not shield? Shield teleport them again. So it does a really there's like a really dumb pacing to it that. Like, uh, where like people are just like basically shielding, uh, chaining shields um, toward one another, and um, like it, it, it looks flashy, but it looks flashy. as yeah. a mechanic, it's so dumb. Yeah, it looks flashy, but it it doesn't really serve the game's mechanics very well. Like it just feels really flat, and like it it feels like a system that was. Um, meant to for audience engagement more to like the instead of like making a more fulfilling satisfying ba uh, actual battle system like if you remember like danger time in guilty gear exert where some uh, there's a random chance if two attacks clash like it'll put you into like a a state where like freeze paint it'll say three two one and then like all the uh attacks for like a few seconds will be like a like a fatal counter where like it'll do a shitload of damage and you can like get into like a really dangerous spot because now like if you get hit in that danger time like any any hit, stray hit will like blow you up essentially because you can do a lot of damage uh damaging combos out of that and just basically turn the tide um uh same thing with like x factor in uh, ultimate marvel versus capcom 3 where like you know you'll you can gain access to like uh really powerful combos through x factor and like that x factor will um um basically gain levels the more characters you have down 
in that game and then it'll become more powerful last longer and like and for some strategies it, it revolved around like this really powerful x-factor mechanic and like it made the game like it's fun but like it doesn't really i i don't like that the, the there's like systems that like it's just meant for like very flashy things to like get like you know spectators excited yeah and engaged. I, I don't like that mechanic at all it's usually it's it's unfair it's just meant to you know flash just wow the audience but as a gameplay wise it's completely unfair and unjust that's how i look at it yeah and then you have like an additional system in this game that wasn't in previous games in type lumina called like the moon drive system where you but you have like these moon attacks that that'll um essentially you know power them up you're in that mode the real um value to the moon drive system is it serves uh a very similar mechanic to the chain shift system in the under night in birth games that the French bread, uh, you know, previously developed, where in the Undernight Inbirth games, at least, uh, you kind of played a tug of war with your uh, uh, enemies. Uh, basically, when you keep up, uh, it rewarded you for either excellent offense or excellent defense, and you have this uh, like battle for meter essentially uh, in that game. And when you when you win that you uh, battle of tug of war, you have access to a chain shift, which would actually um, let you pause time in battle very uh like you know very like you do a combo and then you activate chain shift at all like freeze time and like give you like some breathing room of like either defensively or offensively to, like really assess the situation and whatnot and that awarded your rewarded meter for activating chain shift as well for that uh yeah, and the system really confused me i fought against like a friend first time playing that game and the grid thing that was displaying below it's like how does this person keep getting away with these shields and you know instant free yeah. frame freeze you know under night yeah. is uh, a very unique fighting game it once you get used to that system it's a lot of fun and i think it's one of the best systems in a modern fighting game but i can understand how it's confusing yeah i can understand how it's confusing it's not it's like it, it you you learn it it's it's whatever it's 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 crazy but in um in type lumina think if like if chain shift was always available to to you for both players so both players essentially have the option to basically uh freeze or pause the batch like very briefly and like assess the situation so like say like you're you get knocked down and you're waking up and like uh, a person's about to make a move on you but you want to know for sure what they're making so you wake up and you activate moon drive and that'll pause the battle and that'll give you enough time to see are they throw are they uh throwing me are they like mashing uh, uh like 2a on me or like the light punch um down attack on me and like it just basically gives you a moment to like assess the situation and like respond effectively and like blow them up uh for that because the power of like basically pausing the game at will at your command is very powerful and whatnot and getting moon gauge back is pretty fast in this game as long as like you're you're keeping up offense and it's it feels really dumb to be honest it's like i don't i don't know about this game i i really wanted to like this game but i wanted melty blood and not like a game that like, version <laughs> it's not really dumb that's just different you know that like movement in this game movement in this game feels very stiff um compared to melty blood uh, older melty blood games were like very freeform and loose um while in this game it feels more restrictive in just every possible way you know what i mean yeah i, I get what you mean i don't know i i'm pretty sold on it but it's definitely not melty that's all i can say yeah yeah and then, and then you know when i was looking at this guy i was like oh cool a new melty blood that's not what i got i got like 
the Geki fighting climax with like some melty mechanics uh, here and there, but not. Uh, but it it doesn't have the things that I really like melty for. I'll still you know continue to play it and have fun with it, but it's a to me it's like a fun party game and not really like a fun fighting game. <laughs> but hey, it's got a lot of success, so maybe it will attract the new crowd with it. I don't know. It's yeah, it's 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 fine. You know, like it it'll find its crowd. People are excited. That's fine. Like, like I said earlier, if you had an affinity to older Melty Blood games, the more you'll dislike this game. If you don't have that background, then I think this is a perfectly enjoyable fighting game. Like, isn't this the same way with people with Street Fighter, though? It's like when they have a session with Street Fighter 2, then when 3 came out, they didn't like it at all. They hated it because it was so different. And now it's like embraced. And now when 4 is going back to 2 kind of style, then they're like, no, I want it like free again. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like, yeah, that's every fighting game. But like, when you think about it, like, like, like Street Fighter Five like causes problem too. Like, it tried like very different things, but it doesn't really feel like Street Fighter. Like, you know, like people who really like Street Fighter Four, like people like Street Fighter Four because it was very much like Street Fighter Two. You know, it had, did have like the FADC mechanics and the focus attack, and you know, all the and like the separate, you know, like different supers and whatnot that was uh, lifted from Three. But you know, at its core, when you're playing like neutral and footsies in four, it like was reminiscent of two. Um, but now, like you know, Street Fighter Five is its own thing. It's found it. It still has its own crowd. But you know, when you think about like Guilty Gear Strive and now Multi Blood Type Lumina, they they are they are new fighting games designed for people who didn't like the old. I, who like they're chasing a new audience. They're not for people who liked what they did previously. You know what I mean? Like mechanics wise, they're, they're trying to do something so totally different that like it's older crowd or older players may not like because they've shifted up this formula formula so much that it's unrecognizable to them. Like when I look at the Tokyo Game Show footage of King of Fighters, the weird the, the, the weird thing to me is and like uh, among my friends is like, that's cool. You know, that looks like King of Fighters. We're at this point now when you look at like game footage, uh, it's like, wow, that actually looks like the game that I used to play as. So when I look at when I look at King of Fighters 15 footage, I'm like, wow, that looks like King of Fighters. That's awesome. Unlike when like Strive like you know was d- doing its whole marketing thing. It's like, you know, this looks cool. It looks pretty, you know, but it, it's not. It definitely doesn't like look like Guilty Gear like from a mechanics perspective. It's a whole new different thing, which is fine. But it's not the fighting game that I fell in love with and like is is recognizable to me. You know. Yeah, I get that. I guess I didn't get the feeling from when we were talking about Strive that you had that opinion on it that it didn't feel like Guilty Gear to you. No, it didn't feel like Guilty Gear. It felt something completely different. But I don't mind it, right? So, but, you know, it's like yeah, not, it, not, it's it's not it's not like a grave sin of like, hey, you're not doing the thing that I want. I get it that like you want to do your own thing and that like you know that'll be fun, like for a while. But like when I like yearn for like hey i kind of want like you know to play like guilty gear again i'll like go back to accent core if i want like to really play guilty gear again uh, like i'm not going to strive to play like you know the classic guilty gear feel and experience because strive is so different you know and that's totally fine that you know fighting game developers and publishers want to chase new audiences and new experiences and whatnot but i just don't like this whole trend of like it may it's at the cost of like you know making it very unrec- unrecognizable like from a systems and mechanics perspective. We do have one other game that I want to talk about, another non-RPG for the podcast. And this is something 
that James has been playing, the DLC to Outer Wilds, which I do not even know. Like, I did not know that this game even got DLC because I haven't been following it that much. So, yeah, yeah, James, just tell me like what you've been playing with this one. So, my feelings on the DLC are probably a bit more mixed than most. First of, of all, does it have like talking. a name, like a title, or yes. uh, Outer Wilds: it? Echoes of the Eye? And it's not like it's not like a standalone DLC. It's kind of it's one of those DLCs where it's kind of segmented from the rest of the game and then just ties in at the end. It's it's interesting. Uh, getting to the DLC is probably the most interesting part, the funnest part, because you get access to a new area on one of the planets. It, I say area, it's like a landmark more like. And then there is now like a satellite that is part of the game's rotation and in order to get access to this new area, you'll see that the satellite has taken pictures of the uh, galaxy in a variety of rotate well, a- angles from the sun. And there was one thing that it noticed at a specific angle, and you basically need to find out, okay, when does that when is the satellite at that location so you can line up to get to this new location because it's like cloaked or something. And that's fun. Getting to the DLC uh, is probably the best part because it's the one that makes takes advantage of most of what made Outer Wilds interesting. Uh, the rest of the DLC doesn't really do anything with like the whole time loop that the series that the game is known for. Like the most you get out of it is that inside the new area, which I don't want to spoil too much about it, there's like this structure that breaks down after a certain amount of time and it changes the environment i don't want to say what the structure is and how it changes but there's some cool information there it's like a lot of fun until you get to the latter half of the dlc where it kind of turns into a self-horror game and it's just i I kind of just turned out tuned out i it's just not what i like about the base game it's nothing like the base game the pacing is completely off. And one of the things about the, ori- the original release is if you got stuck somewhere, you could always head off to a different planet and try and find out something else because the game itself was nonlinear. And the thing about Outer Wilds is that the whole deal was that once you know how to finish the game, you can finish it in five minutes. Whereas with the DLC, it's just doesn't feel as smooth. The pacing doesn't feel as good. And the stealth segments where it's all dark and just not a good time not a good time which is a shame because parts of the dlc are really good is this the first major dlc for the game first and only yeah Uh, okay i'm kind of trying to think of this like almost from like an seo perspective where i whenever i like go back to a game after it's added dlc i think it's a pretty common like google trap where it's like how do i access this how to like because sometimes they they want to incorporate it where it's, you know, viable for newcomers, like who haven't played the base game. So they've got like the gold edition or whatever, or the game of the year edition. And how well, how well is all the added content, you know, fleshed into the game or people who are returning, they've got their save file. What do I have to go back to in order to access it? It's just interesting to say that you, you saying that for this, the answer to that question for this specific DLC for Outer Wilds is almost the most interesting part about it because you access it in a pretty non-standard way 
But then once you actually get into it, you seem to be a lot less positive on it. Yeah, it's a shame because like it's definitely front loaded. I'll say that much. About how long did it take you? Oh, I, I gave up once I got oh. to the stealth segments and I was like, yeah, I'm not having fun. And I, I read that it doesn't actually change anything major about the ending. So I was like, OK, I've had my fun. I'm good. I, I don't need to finish this. How far along or, or like, is, it, is this like two hours in or is this like I'm eight hours in and there's no sign of the end? So Four or gonna... five hours in. All right, man. But I guess I didn't realize that when you put this on here, because we have we have like a list of all the games that we're going to talk about. But I don't really have any perspective on like how positive or negative people are going to be on it. I didn't know that I was going to go into Outer Wilds. And then you had I didn't realize that this is how you felt about the DLC, but but you felt much more strongly about the base game, though, right? Oh, yeah. One, the the base game is probably one of the best games of all time from like, it's just completely unique. There's nothing else like it. If you really everyone should play Outer Wilds, just don't feel like you need to play the DLC because you don't give give me the elevator pitch for Outer Wilds. It's a Metroidvania where the upgrades you get aren't actually items. It's just information. Huh. Uh, off the cuff, that, that's actually pretty good because now I'm trying to like wrangle that in my head and see like how exactly that would fit in a game. And that kind of covers us for the games we wanted to talk about. Uh, a little bit of a difference because it's uh, RPGs that are not out in the here in the West or non RPGs that we're wanting to have some space for. Next week, we'll probably get back to more some, some more standard types of RPG releases that we'll talk about. But for the sake of time, we're going to go into we do have a couple of features up on the site ahead of us getting into the new section about Tokyo Game Show. We have two reviews and one other uh, impressions piece that went up right before the busy weekend. One of them is a review for Astria Ascending. This was put up by one of our newer contributors, Quinton. They did not think very highly of this game. I do not want to put words into their mouth because they're not here to substantiate their opinion, but they just thought it was you know, not a good showing. They didn't have a good time with it. They had some good art, but some really silly story and writing concerns. So we do all, we do have that up on the site. Maybe at one point we'll get Quinton on the cast to to talk about it more at length, but we do have the review up if you're interested in reading through that. Another review that we put up that we do have the reviewer on the staff on the podcast right now is for Mary Skelter Finale. This just released uh, a few weeks ago for Nintendo Switch and PS4. And Chow, you're the one that wrote this up for us. And uh, did you also do the reviews for the other Mary Skelter titles? I did, I did. And is this... How does this compare? Um, this is it better or worse? Is the best, and this is by far the worst one out of the series, but even their worst <laughs> game of the series, I think this is Compile Heart's best game. This is like their best oh, franchise. <laughs> that was really funny to hear. It's like, this is probably the worst Mary Skelter game, but it's Compile Heart's best <laughs> what? I think he means Mary Skelter is their best series. Okay. I yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. It's like I had never played like a decent game from Compile Heart, and this is like their <laughs> only good franchise. You know? That's really good. All right, so so when you when you when we spoke about this in in uh, the private chat, uh, you compared this to the Matrix Revolutions of Mary Skelter. What the fuck did you mean? <laughs> what I mean is like this is just like okay, we need to end the series somehow, but nobody really cares at this point. It's like oh, there's already like closure in the previous game, so we're like we're just back to introducing new threads. It's just like. No need for the sequel. That's how I see it, right? Is it a direct sequel or 
it is a direct sequel, but there's just no no need for it. There's like all these major plot twists were, was covering too, so we got to introduce these new villains. Like, where where the hell were you all this time? You know, it's like it's kind of like that Internals trailer from Marvel recently. It's like where the hell were you when you were fighting Thanos? You know, that kind of sort of deal, right? Oh. It's like oh, you introduce like new friends out of nowhere. <laughs> right it's just so dumb it's it's absolutely unnecessary um but that's how i've seen this game i mean it's an all right game if you're looking for quantity there's a ton of content in this game like i think if you want to do like every single thing i think it'll take you like maybe a hundred hours because there's a ton of reading you have to do there's a ton of chore gameplay i would say because how, how i would say it um can we spoil final fantasy 6 as a comparison I I think uh, I think the statute of limitations is expired. Uh, basically, in Final <laughs> Fantasy VI, you know, like when your party is all gathered up, right? They split them apart, right? You divide into separate groups, and this is basically the mechanics of the finale, right? Your group is split up, and all these dungeons require you using different groups, doing the same dungeon like three times with the same different like with different groups so it's like a really short game to play in my opinion i don't like this new system that they introduced the zapper system that's what they call it yeah it's so like- um so i haven't played mary skelter but i've played plenty of dungeon crawlers and almost always in a dungeon crawler one of the key components of it is that you are coordinating your party makeup and your team so that all your characters perfectly you know coordinate with each other and uh what's the word i'm looking for they basically emphasize each other's skills and they you know you're putting together a team that hopefully take on anything you can that comes across your way and once you sort of find the makeup that you want you you don't want to change it like you you or you you make small tweaks to it here and there and i know i have a friend who's been playing through this game and they have a similar thought to you where it's like when you're just sort of swapping parties all the time you can't really do that um, or you can sort of try to make each party sort of work identically, but it, it he sort of had a similar you know take on it in terms of it's just sort of it's kind of frustrating where you sort of put together this party and then you know a few hours later it's like oh now you have a new party you need to sort of start from scratch and do it again, um, you know is that sort of what you're getting at in terms yeah, of just ha- always I having to like guess. re-coordinate here and there. It, it, it's really frustrating to play it. It's just not good as the old one, I would say. Um... Yeah, they basically turned that system, you know, where your party is split into three groups in Final Fantasy VI, and you had to all get to the same destination at the end in order to beat it. And it's just, but that's the entire game. Instead of having small segments in Final Fantasy VI of that, you now have an entire game based on this system. So that's how the finale, how I see the finale. Like, I, I, I feel I like know. that could be really interesting, but it sounds like they just had you do like the same dungeons multiple times or the same like the same tasks multiple times with different parties, which would not be the way I would prefer it. If like the, pro- the problem is you can't customize this party. It's mandatory with this group because that's how they split up the storyline, right? It's like, oh, he's stuck with this person. And this person stuck with this person, right? You know, it's like, so, yeah. It kind of reminds me of the first half of Final Fantasy 13, where you basically have no say in who who you're controlling because you're just basically at the whims of these two are paired up, these two are paired up because that's how it is. You you like it or you don't deal with it. Um, where in Final I, Fantasy 6, you had some say at that point in the you game. You can control who you want to be in, in the final dungeon, right? But mm-hmm. uh, you don't have any control over the previous area because that's 
who they split apart with, right? But right. Uh, but if you have the entire game like that, I don't see it as fun. I see it as a chore. So your basic takeaway then is that Mary Skelter is a surprisingly strong compile heart IP, but you're just not but, sure that this game like was necessary. I just think this really is the weak, weakest. Yeah, I just think this is the weakest game of the of the franchise. Uh, there is a ton of content in here, so if you like quantity and you know over quality, I think this is. <laughs> The best game to pick up for your buck, I think. Oh yeah, low quantity. <laughs> Let's go. We do also have one other feature up on the site. This one's a little bit um, pared back a bit, and that is Adam finally got the chance to play Neo: The World Ends with You because it finally released yes. on PC. Uh, Adam, maybe just like a quick minute or two. Like any other, like any like key takeaways from the PC port of Neo: The World Ends with You? I've only played like the first two days, which is like barely an hour. Um, so I have not much to say about the game itself, but in terms of the port, it's it's in terms of like options and configuration, it's pretty basic. But to be honest, it doesn't really need much in terms of like settings and things you can tweak and texture and, you know, shadow quality and whatnot. You know, it's a pretty it's got a simplified stylistic art style and it looks nice up at 4K and being an action game, being able to run it at high frame rate, you know, 100 frames per second. It looks really nice. It works really well. So I haven't had any performance issues. It's not a super intensive game. So uh, I, it, I'm happy with it. And I, once I get finished with a few other things I'm working on, I'm definitely hoping to dive right in. I believe they're going to retrace it. What a missed nope. opportunity. Uh, but it does at least sound like it's a really good port. So that's, that's good. All right, before we get into the Tokyo Game Show major headlines, there was a few other things that were announced outside of it this week. Uh, a main one, I'm actually surprised it didn't really show up in the Nintendo Direct. Uh, we got a new gameplay video for Pokemon Legends Arceus, which is releasing early next year. Um, a lot of it is kind of going over some of the stuff that we discussed on the podcast maybe like five weeks ago. It had the, it had the two new Pokemon um, evolutions uh, from the from the new region. It had a few of the gameplay snippets about how the game is organized. And it kind of just kind of goes into more detail there, specifically covering the wardens, which I I guess are kind of like the analog of gym leaders in this area, in this era. And then also another new evolution that is part of the Pokemon Noble gameplay mechanic, where it seems like these are like sub bosses that you're going to be tasked with taking out. And the sub boss that they've introduced with this trailer is Cleavor, which is basically a Pokemon with axes for arms, which I thought was a little silly until I read up more. And apparently it is a new evolution for Scyther, where his he's he oh. trades he trades out the sides for like stone axes. I so, don't know. What did someone say lame? Yep. Scyther <laughs> yeah. said lame. Scyther that axes. I'm sorry. Well, well uh, I'm so okay. so all the all the all of the new Pokemon that they've um introduced for this region uh have been evolutions of existing ones like the basculine is now i can't even remember the new what the newest one is called um basculegion or whatever it was but this is another one where they took an existing pokemon that already had an evolution with scizor only now it has another one and it doesn't look like scyther at all it looks like a weird like golem with big axe arms uh and it is a sucky pokemon yeah it's the idea of the noble Pokemon was kind of interesting, but if you watch the gameplay trailer for this, it's like 
completely solid gold. It almost looks like Naruto in his like shining fox mode or whatever it's called. So I kind I do appreciate this trailer just because it kind of gives you a little bit more like trying to answer the question, what do you do in this game? So apparently there's going to be some subset of noble Pokemon that you're going to be tasked to clearing out for the, for the region's wardens. Go ahead. If you were to choose a weapon to have as both of your arms, what would it be? Guns. <laughs> Baseball bats. Baseball bats. Yeah. Man. Okay. All right. Damn. Best weapon. Best I take weapon. It back. I, I, I would like, like flails. <laughs> oh, that'd be sick. Actually. Okay. So, okay. so baseball bat was a weird answer, but flail was like, yeah, let's go flail. Dude, flails are fucking with you, dude. You'd have to spin. You'd have to spin. So that's even better. <laughs> I do like the um the little tagline from the press release. So it's like special minerals found in the Hisui region cause Scyther to evolve into this Pokemon. So, uh, Cleavor, I guess, is proof that you are what you eat. Special minerals is going to be mutant. They talked a little, and they showed a little bit also about like cosmetics and changing your character's looks and what you what you can access in the Jubilee Village and and things like that. So kind of get into that part of the marketing cycle where it's getting kind of really down into like the nitty gritty if you're really interested. But since this is kind of a different type of Pokemon game, I do think that it actually kind of a little bit valid here because it's not going to have the same kind of format, the same rubric that the game has been following. Yeah, this is the I'm one. I'm still po- super keen. I think this looks great. This looks so yeah. good. The, the fact that it that it is a bit different is just enough to kind of reignite my interest having not played a mainline Pokemon game for like four generations, five generations. I guess they're still calling this generation eight. This is sword and shield generation, uh, at least according to Bulbapedia. But I'm not sure if even a generation really applies to this when it's kind of its own. I'm not even sure if generations even matter at this point. Like ever since like generation six, they started having like exclusive like mega evolutions in like Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. And then obviously there's actual new Pokemon in Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. It's like, well, before the whole reason that there were different generations was that there was new Pokemon. Now it's kind of not just the Zuber generations. It doesn't matter anymore. Yep. This is coming out uh, again on in January 28th of next year. So still a bit away. All right, I think most of everything else in here is from Tokyo Game Show or has at least had a presence in Tokyo Game Show. Like I said at the header, a lot of this is um, updates to information that we were already aware of or games that were announced and finally getting details on it. Uh, So let's just go through them. The order here is going to be slightly random, uh, just kind of going through what we have on the list. The first one is we were wondering about this last week. We already had details about Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak coming off coming over to pc and we were wondering like the base monster hunter rise was coming going to come over to pc at some point earlier than that but wasn't dated well now it is it's uh monster hunter rise the base game is going to be releasing on pc on january 12th of next year so another january title so we're at that point of the year where we're going to be start pulling up (laughs) next year's calendar and and it feels like every single year it's like Q1 of next year is going to be the most loaded ever. But eventually it all kind of like flattens out when stuff gets delayed or whatever. They did basically a Steam PC trailer for Monster Hunter Rise talking about better texture quality, ultra wide support, voice chat support, things like that. Uh, I think my assumption is, is that anyone that's played World on PC will kind of know what to expect. I'm excited for this. I don't know if I'm I, I put so much time into Monster Hunter World that I don't know if by January of next year will I be keen for Rise on PC. 
we'll hear see. that, Josh? You're going to have to review the PC version of Monster Hunter Rise because uh, Brian won't do it for us. Uh-oh. Boss shot new PC for that reason. Better, better have cross-save. Yeah, they actually... Uh, what was it? There was a, uh, a Capcom there survey. A, yeah. And basically, two of the questions for people that were interested in the PC release were, would what... Well, there was a question was like, what features would make you more likely to purchase a game on PC? And two of them were cross-save and cross-play. And it seems like everyone that's going out of their way to do the survey is saying yes on those. So hopefully that means we will get cross-save and cross-play. That would be really cool. Which, by the way, we never got for World, but if they can if they can start implementing it now, that would be for the best, especially for people who have already put dozens or hundreds of hours in the Switch version. They did also That's release... Cool. I was just going to say, they did release a few more tidbits about Sunbreak. We, we kind of called out that new flagship vampire-looking uh, dragon that we saw in the Sunbreak trailer. Uh, we now have a name for it. It is Malzeno. So there you go. And then also a few more returning monsters are said to appear. Specifically, they've revealed Shogun Senatar. I don't know if that means something to your Monster Hunter vets. It doesn't mean anything to me, but yeah, uh, yeah that uh, better that's uh, Senatar than Hermitar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's called Shogun because he uses his claws as swords. Yeah, hmm. it's like but he'll be making so. an appearance in Sunbreak, and a few it's others cool. that are yet to be revealed. I didn't share much about Sunbreak at all, really. They're like, here you go. The the the, the main use thing was really the Rise PC release date, and uh, I think a demo is coming soon for that. The it's like October thirteen, I want to say thirteenth uh, or fourteenth. There's a PC demo, which is interesting because it means well, if you already have a demo this early, I'm guessing the only reason the PC version isn't coming out until January is because of the exclusivity stuff of Nintendo. I feel like the PC port could release this month if, if that wasn't the case. Now I need to have my new PC up first. So I'm, I'm glad for this uh, pushback. And then again, Sunbreak will release later in the year in, uh, in the summer of 2022. We also got a release date for one of my most anticipated games for next year, I think. And that is Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. Obviously, this Chaos. game had its like initial demo window a few months back and was kind of the talk of the town for various reasons of various levels of severity. Uh, and we did learn a little bit about the survey and demo feedback a few months ago or a month ago or so. Uh, and now we've gotten a new release date. It will release on March 18th, 2022. So another Q1 release for next year. And it also has a new demo available that launched alongside this release date trailer. So this has been a fun one to follow for various reasons. It looks incredibly goofy and they've also kind of, in some, in some cases they've kind of spoiled the premise of the game, or at least they're, that's kind of like they're leading it on to believe that they've spoiled what the premise of the game is. If you've watched the trailer through to the end, uh, has anyone here uh, played the uh, most recent demo? I haven't. Uh, I haven't gotten the chance yet. I've been too swept up with TGS stuff and watching Kuro forever. I only watch the videos where you're yeah. just embracing the, like the iPhone or something. Yeah, I'll be honest. The main reason I haven't played the demo and I won't play the demo is that I was already sold on the first one. So I'm just kind of waiting for release. 
Yeah, I don't. I I, I still want to try it because I'm interested to see because the the new demo does incorporate some feedback from the previous, uh, you know, because they got survey results in and whatnot. So I want I want to see like you know some of the improvements, but they're also testing out some multiplayer features uh, with this uh, new demo. So I want to see how that pans out. And uh, just to be clear, this new limited time demo is not exclusive just to the PlayStation Five, like the last one. It is also available on the Xbox Series X and S as well, and it's up to the uh october 11th i think it'll be available yeah it's another limited time demo but yeah this game has won me over which i i think i feel a little bit a little bit hypocritical because i've never played the demo because my right now my my both all my consoles are boxed up right now but i i just look at this and some people i just like how it wears its goofiness on its sleeve it's not trying to be like super serious or super thoughtful or super poignant. It's well, just it's almost it's almost so serious that it's silly. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I think it's trying to be that serious. It's just shit at it. I don't, I don't find it charming. I, I, you don't? I, mean, I do. George, 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 George is a party no, for this game. Uh, I just, uh, no, I, I I, maybe maybe I am. I think it's I think it's more entertaining being as dumb as as it is than if it was like genuinely compelling i don't know if that makes sense like this is a game about trying to kill me come on i think it's trying to be serious and like namora's like this is a tale of an angry man and i don't think he means it like hey angry man i think he means like dark and care about this character i don't give a his name's jack who gives a crap uh, uh, i don't know it's i didn't enjoy the demo either to be honest like the first one i played nothing about it really stood out that much to me which is weird because i usually like those kind of games so i think maybe i'm just maybe it's just not for me and that's fine but I, the idea that it's like really endearing it just makes me laugh i don't get it i i just hope this game is as dumb as possible uh, same here just despite george too by the way <laughs> in terms of what brian was saying about like this they spoiled it uh i forget where it's from from it or some interview Nomura was saying that uh, there, I saw this on Twitter, so I don't know exactly where it was sourced, but he, like, apparently that, people yeah. guessed the premise pro- correctly that like who, whoever defeats chaos becomes chaos or whatever. Like people just guessed that, and he's like, "Well, we didn't really expect that, so we're gonna just reveal it. That's what it is." And now it's gonna be more like marketing is like, you know, about like the why does it happen rather than what happens, sort of thing. You know, so it, it, it's just sort of funny how they just people guessed the premise based on what they showed in the initial unveiling. And then he's just like, Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, Also, apparently they weren't expecting the chaos thing to become a meme, but it did, which honestly, in terms (laughs) of like this whole game is like marketing (laughs) in terms of, in terms of like marketing and mindshare, that chaos thing probably helped more than it hurt. But it's, it's it's weird because they, they, they they, like censored that, uh, like, all, ca- all mentions of chaos in the, in the English version, while in the Japanese version of the trailer, you can clearly hear like a, a lot more mentions of the word chaos in the Japanese trailer, and that was deliberately taken out of the English one, <laughs> which makes which makes people like pretty of this of this most recent trailer. That, yeah, and that makes people really like uh, worried about like if that's reflective of the final game as well. Of like, hey, are they like, gonna like tone it down from the original like script that they had for it? Because now like. Yeah, like it's weirdly enough that like the developers or the marketing side or whatever has like taken that as like a negative thing because it's like been so like overdone in the in like the social uh space even through osmosis. So like I, I found it stupidly endearing. It's stupid but endearing, but now it like 
I'm I'm kind of worried that they've taken it like the opposite way of like, oh, it's kind of like maybe offended them like, or made them like worry. they need when to embrace trying, this. They so can't what you're saying away is, from it. what we're saying is, is that Square Enix should release the Chaos Cut. Yep. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so they're like, but, so they're like transcribing the English script for the game, and they're like, Chaos is like a non-negotiable. Like you can't use that word. You have to speak around it. Uh, so then, no, so then it might be still in the game. It just might have been cut around in the trailer. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's what we don't know. My, so my my question is, if we if everyone's guessed the plot, I might just be really stupid. But I thought it was like an isekai. It is. It, it uh, is. But that doesn't. That we don't it, know exactly. It, that doesn't make it. Lo- that doesn't make it not an isekai. I'm confused. I just have you played thought, Final Fantasy One? You know I haven't. <laughs> So, Imagine Final okay, Fantasy One has a has sort of this time loop thing that happens. That's not, you know, sure it's a spoiler, but it's Final Fantasy One. And it seems like this game kind of expands upon that, but also throws in this sort of actually Jack is from a different world um okay. bit into it. So we don't know exactly how that fits in, but we do know the I'm general just... premise that whoever defeats Chaos becomes Chaos. I'm surprised like the that. people are so accepting to have something mess with like the canon i know i know canon's like subjective and maybe it's a matter but like for something as beloved as final fantasy i'm surprised if it is well i think goofy, it's mostly you know? just because well, that it's that. final fantasy one yeah. Yeah. yeah final fantasy one yeah. like people like try and say oh final fantasy is so off the chain nowadays but literally the plot of final fantasy one is hey you're stuck in a time loop let's break it like like i don't like final fantasy isn't like super beloved for like what it did to storytelling you know it's just like okay cool like that's a thing i think but. it'd be different if this was like a prequel to final fantasy 10 or something you know yeah then people would be upset like what like i don't know if like they i know final fantasy 10 already also has isa do it sort of but if it was like actually it's connected to new york they'd be like what this is dumb but for Final Fantasy 1, I, I think we're far enough removed from it. And it's, you know, a very simple game relatively. I think people are more accepting to, like, let's just mess with the ca- canon here. So. I mean, this doesn't make sense. Well, George, are you so concerned about, like, the sanctity of Final Fantasy's story? When you I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just su- not for my own reaction, but I'm just surprised I haven't heard more, like, especially, I guess, for me, for someone who doesn't like this sort of, like, cringy purposefully edgy tone like i'm surprised people are so accepting of it but george you, you say you like final fantasy 15 right you yeah, played but that's, that's, that's i i think i think that's there's edgy. no but I i'm think, just thinking I about think that making term, comparisons to other games is you know no but i'm like I thinking think... the silliness it's like in final fantasy 15 there's this part where you had to slay a behemoth to fix your car i find that whole concept yeah. was silly and yet yeah you know here it's like now this is too silly <laughs> Of killing this dude, so well, you go mean, back to home. I mean, we've I, already I had like Crisis Core and the other Final Fantasy VII stuff, which is next with like actually Genesis was there or, or whatever. So, <laughs> so this is like this is not new territory for Square or Square Enix. Um, uh, I feel like I, I I have to say like I'm obligated to like reel this in a bit and be like, by the way, they introduced the uh, the fourth hero as Neon, a new female character <laughs> in the party. By the way, that was also a- announced alongside all the other memes and the uh, the bullshit <laughs> and the and the phone. <laughs> the phone. <laughs> did we did we mention that there's a location that may not actually be, but is very highly representing uh, the Sunleth waterscape from Final Fantasy 13? Like, even uses that? the. Uh... 
music so yeah it's like a similar it's like a different version of the music so it's just like is it just an inspired area or is it like more weird yeah, stuff is it going on is it, is it coincidental or stuff? Is it intentional yeah i just what? love that the daily final fantasy music uh, twitter outright said no i will not be posting limp biscuit on the timeline yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that is. I don't know how you don't watch that particular clip going around and say, "I didn't. Uh, I will not play this game because of this clip." I can't believe it. I feel like that's like a fucking game seller on that clip alone. What a what a goofy game. March eighteenth of next year. Last week we did introduce this because it showed up on the um, Australians ratings board, our favorite video game leaks leaker, uh, and then it, and <laughs> then it also Walmart, sh- Canada. And then it also showed up on one that we haven't heard from in a while, the Best Buy uh, retail listings. Um, And that is Atelier Sophie 2, The Alchemist of the Mysterious Dream, is set to release for February February 25th of next year. So another Q1 of next year. And this was formally announced also at TGS, just like within the last day. So first it was the ratings board, then it was a Best Buy listing, and now it is uh, official official. So we are getting another... Another Atelier sequel for this time for Sophie, Sophie 2, The Alchemist of the Mysterious Dream. Uh, so it'll use basically the tech of Rise of 2, but the art style of the Mysterious trilogy. Uh, I, Even though I'm not familiar with the series, I do think that the trailer looks really nice. Um, and kind of a kind of a, maybe a, a... The Earth makes its yearly rotation around the sun, and yet another Atelier game comes out. All is well with the world. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this does compared to Rise of 2, because now people are going to be like, do I have to play the first one? Like, Because normally sequels don't sell as well as the original game, but like Rise of 2, because it was like a new launching launching on point or whatever, it, it didn't have kind of like that um, expectation where you, you could just play one that released a few years ago and then two that released last year. Um I think uh, Rise of Two still year. sold less than one, barely. But it's, I think it's like a breakdown, like six hundred thousand versus four hundred thousand for right. Rise of One to Two. Yeah, so this one, but, um, yeah, the, with the, this is interesting because, and we mentioned this before, it's in a way sort of like an interquel where Atelier Sophie was then followed up by Atelier Firis, which you know in the in these trilogies of games it usually like it takes place in the same world but you're now following a new primary character but now it's sort of like this is slotted in before that and there's also some dream stuff going on in here and there's like a different version of Plakta who's one of the characters so like who knows if this is some sort of I don't know it's literally got dream in the title so I don't know if it's like a dream sequence or like an alternate world or you know like how does it fit into the timeline exactly but your magnitude yeah for some yeah it's all a dream (laughs) but yeah but they're going back to Sophie I know Sophie seems pretty popular like maybe second to Ariza uh, I think the, the first game released like six years ago, Sophie won, something like that. Um, it also, two things to mention. One, this is the first simultaneous release for like worldwide release for Gust and the Atelier series. Uh, they were kind of narrowing the gap with previous releases. I think Ryza was just a few months or one month, and now it's simultaneous. And also, uh, this game, this entry is introducing for the first time in the series the battle system is seamless in terms of transitioning in and out of battle. So we'll see how that works. Believe, I can't believe Falcom did it before Gus. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I, I, I think the games are, are RPGs are just moving in this direction, which I think makes sense. 
Like it's yeah, sort of that. funny that like Tails tried this a few entries ago and then they just yep. shied away from it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because it just happened to be like the fucking first Tails. Yeah, it, did, it didn't work very well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> Tails did it like, uh, you know, a really long time ago, but it just didn't pan out. I, I do hope they try the, the, the idea again. I think there is uh, a place for it uh, for Tails. I just think they just need to have a, a better base game With to try it out. Yeah. Yeah. We got more details on the upcoming Aiden Chronicles Rising. Now, this is the spinoff for the Suikoden love letter Aiden Chronicle 100, 100 Heroes. So this was originally announced uh, when during the Xbox's E3 stream this summer when they uh, I don't I actually don't know like what Xbox's involvement is here, but they've been using their platforms to platform this game, which is being published by 505 Games. So then across Tokyo Game Show, Aiden Chronicles Rising, the spin-off side-scrolling RPG, actually had presence in two streams. It showed up in the Xbox uh, TGS stream. Yes, they did have one. And also in uh, 505 Games' specific stream. The main thing that came out of these streams are detailing the three characters in this game. The three characters are Garou, JB, and Isha, which my, my favorite part of this is that Garou is a basically an anthropomorphic kangaroo wielding like a giant sword which is which is pretty awesome uh jb wields like almost like climbing picks is what they look like yep and dual climbing <laughs> that's an inspired weapon choice to be honest and then uh, isha is like a, a mage sort of character when i look at the gameplay of this it almost looks like uh Muramasa or something like that in terms of like the art style and how the characters move. But yeah, so I, I did see some people comparing it to Odin's here as well. Yeah, just it's very vanilla esque. Uh it's being developed uh, in partnership with Natsume Atari. Um and they showed off like, you know, the main thrust of this game is that you're basically switching off of these three characters depending on their combat type. So like Guru is like the power type, JB is like the the speed type, and like, you know, the Isha's like the magic type, you know, range type uh, uh, character. And then so depending on like what kind of enemy formation you might be up against, one of these characters might be more effective at dealing with them than the other. But then it's like a seamless transition as you switch between the characters mid-combat. Yeah, so you do have like, it's almost like a party where you, you have all three with you at any given time and you switch between which one you're controlling. They did not, during either any of these streams, give much information about the, the main title, the 100 Heroes one, uh, except reiterating that it is still planned for 2023. So we're still a, bit, uh, a ways out from that. They did say that in Rising, the spinoff, that it will have characters from 100 Heroes making an appearance at some sort. So I don't know if that means that this is if you're interested in 100 heroes which is again the game that's kind of being built in the vein of suikoden or at least marketed that way that you really should check this one out uh this one is slated for next year at some point undated so next year will be rising and then 2023 is the slated window for 100 heroes so, i guess the yeah so suikoden series has is obviously known for having 108 characters in each game and you know Obviously, there's like a main set of characters, but that there's a lot of characters to go through. Um, sometimes certain characters do appear in like different games, and then there's also spin-offs like the Suica Gaiden games that um, kind of like focus on different characters. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Nash. Nash is a character that appears in Suicoden Three, and he's like 
semi-important in that game, but you don't get his full like story. And if you want that, you have to play Suica Gaiden. So it seems like this is sort of a similar thing where it seems like there's going to be these characters, some of them, I don't know if it's going to be actually like these three or different characters, but will appear in 100 Heroes, but it's like, hey, this is, you know, they're going to make an appearance here to kind of like flesh them out when maybe they're not fleshed out in the other game sort of thing because they just sort of diffuse which characters sort of get, you know, highlighted in each game. So it's sort of an introduction to 100 Heroes with some of the characters. Yeah, and I guess the important update about the Hundred Heroes is that um, the, when they were uh, announced, uh, you know, reannouncing the platforms for it, they are surveying around for Hundred Heroes whether you know people want a Nintendo Switch version of that release or not. Because the initial Kickstarter pitch was like, "Oh, well, we'll release it on the you know upgraded Nintendo Switch or the next generation of Nintendo platform," because they weren't confident that you know it would they would have to like sacrifice too much to make it run on the Switch. But now they're like surveying around, saying, "Okay, do you people?" You know, since news of a Switch Pro still, you know, hasn't popped up anywhere, it's, it's looking less likely to come in the near future. So now they're like surveying around: do do people really want a Nintendo Switch version? Yeah, I I do under, I do understand the initial hesitation. You you they wanted to avoid like announcing in 2020 this is coming out for Switch, and then like in 2021 Switch Pro comes out, and then by the time 2023 is here, like no one's playing Switch anymore, and it's like. Uh, well, we announced it for Switch, so we still have to release it. So I understand that they were hesitant at first, just like, we don't know what's going to happen in three years. But now it seems like, you know, hey, we can Switch is still popular. It's going to be probably still popular in a few years, even if there is a successor at that point. We should probably consider a release. It's not official yet, though. Uh, also, I should mention that the Rising game, the spinoff side-scroller that we were talking about with the three characters, they did confirm that is coming to Switch, like, for sure. We got a lot of details on a game that was just announced a few months ago, and that is Relayer. This is a mecha strategy RPG from the creators of God Wars. We first talked about this back in late May, and they had a um, a stream during Tokyo Game Show that basically gave, or I don't know if it was a stream or just a trailer, but tons of details about how this game plays and how it how it works. It's like 13 minutes of footage about the types of weapons, the types of mechs, basically anything you could possibly want to dive into on this game. And they also re revealed a release date for it. And that is February 17th of next year. So once again, Q1 of next year for Relayer. Um, the details of this release are a little bit foggy. The Japanese press release does suggest that the game will launch with multiple languages, including English, as well as French, German, Spanish, Italian, and a, and a bunch of others. But we actually haven't heard it from Clouded Leopard, the publisher responsible for uh, releasing the game outside of Japan. So don't know if that's that the English text will be available in the Japanese release or if it's going to be available in, a, in like a Southeast Asian release or what. Um, but it seems like February 17th is going to be in the date and you'll be able to play it in English according to the Japanese press release. Yeah, it looks like, you know, it, I, I hope it's good that, uh, I, when I saw that, uh, detailed, like 13 minute trailer, like kind of breaking down all of the systems that it has, I'm like, all right, this is speaking to me. Um, it, it's, uh, doing a lot of different things than like what SRW does or Super Robot Wars does. And you know, I'm always looking uh, looking forward to like uh, new ideas in the space. So uh, uh, Kite wrote a really crazy detailed uh, breakdown of what that trailer introduced. Uh, as you mentioned, like you know, between the the mech types, the weapons, like the aggro system and whatnot, and what kind of uh, how you how those uh, mechanics mingle with one another. 
And you know, I think the the most I can hope for is like it's a it's a, f- a fun, enjoyable RPG with an engaging story. You know, uh, I really hope that. Yeah, it's, strat- uh, strategy uh, games can be hard to sell sometimes because a lot of this really sounds almost like math when you read it out loud. Where it's like yeah. there are six categories of weapons: one-handed sword, two-handed sword, machine gun, rifle, bit, shield. There are four types of mechs: there's assault, tank, sniper, and scout. Uh, yeah. There are different types of jobs: there are basic jobs, intermediate jobs, and advanced jobs. Each job is one of two <laughs> to market. Yeah. I, I don't envy anyone who has to try to market strategy RPGs because to a lot of people, they're like, "Fuck that." If it has mechs and it has bit weapons like the funnels, that's all you need to sell me on the games. That's that's all. I'm glad I you need. T- I'm glad you described what that was to me because I'm reading the weapon types and I'm like one handed sword. Yeah, I know what that is. Two handed sword. That's intuitive. Uh, rifle, sure. Bit. I don't know what that is. <laughs> what is a bit? <laughs> yeah, that's that's how they refer to it. Like you know, like uh, like the new Gundam has like its little funnels kind of shooting out of it to like fire lasers. That those the it's usually called bits in the in that fiction. I do like how shield is categorized as a weapon. I want to dual wield oh, yeah. like shields on my mech. I wonder if you can. Just pull those people. But yeah, fe- another Q1 game for next year, February 17th. Uh, seemingly it'll be in English. The last two that are in the major news section here are actually announcements of new games, though they are a little bit on the like the smaller scale. And one of them is a Square Enix game directed by Hiroyuki Ito. He he's making an appearance. He's he's off his janitor duties. Uh, and this is <laughs> this is Dungeon Encounters set for release not long in on October fourteenth for PlayStation Four, Nintendo Switch, and PC. So. Uh, this game, we've got a very short trailer, about a two-minute trailer showing what it is, and it looks very, very like bite-sized, very simple premise, very basic organized game. Uh, some people who are more cynical might say that it looks really cheap, and I, I don't really have a counter-argument. It does kind of look like it was made on a budget. Uh, but it's, Adam, hmm? we won. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's really sick. Like, uh, Hiroyuki, though, very, very, you know, uh, respected creator in the RPG space, you know, he's done a lot. Uh, you know, he's done, worked on systems for FF9, FF Tactics, FF12, like a, a lot of battle designer roles and whatnot. And this is a this new game, Dun- Dungeon Encounters, is developed by uh, Cattle Call. Um, and like, uh, you know, uh, Brian was saying, like, the trailer like looks simplistic, but it looks mechanically rich. You know, it gives it a distinct style, like a minimalistic look but like when you see like you know how the whole presentation is overall it's like something like you don't really see like much of these kinds of like weird kind of games like this on like on a presentation level it looks simple but effective i'd say i don't want to be like so like superficial but the the battle screens actually look fine. It's just like the the character art and some animations for their to specify like what sort of spell or weapons being used. But the map screen is like it's set up like this gridded maze, like almost like a maze that you'd see in like a evening paper or whatever, uh, where your character you have an isometric view and you're going you're trying to fill in like all of the squares on the map and across oh, no, different you're squares. Not fill, you're not trying to fill in all the squares on the map. You're trying to find an efficient route to the exit, and then if you find an efficient route that the 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 amount of moves lets you, if you finish that floor in a set amount of moves, you're rewarded. Ah, uh, but that, it's, that's what it, is. 
It just looks like though, like they have like a texture for the ground. Like if it's an ice place, it'll just look like a big ice field. And then it just looks like someone like super superimposed like graph paper and drew like a map on it. Which I'm like, that's I, cool. That's awesome because I used to fucking draw maps on grid paper for fucking dungeon that's, RPGs. That's, that's what it looks like. If like if you were like trying to like scout out like you're a DM of a D and D group and you're trying to like create like a maze and you have grid paper and you're trying to like overlay everything that's kind of what this looks like so i actually do kind of appreciate it it's it's kind of a different thing it's very quaint but i do actually kind of appreciate like how pure it is it's not doctored up or gussied up in any way so yeah, this game sort of reminds me of saga scarlet grace in a way mm. where they really wanted to focus on a very specific element in this case we're talking like a numbers game in terms of this dungeon crawling you know efficiency battle you know it's it's a numbers game and aesthetically it takes a back seat there's some good character art like you said but it's very simple otherwise and they just said we're not going to have you know cutscenes or like we're in terms of even art assets we're basically have we don't we barely have like environments or anything it's just like a grid um but they're focusing in on what they believe like this mechanical numbers dungeon crawler like if you're if you like dungeon crawlers i think this game will probably sing to you more um based on what they've shown so far and like that's really what they're focusing on and that sort of reminds me of saga scarlet grace where they're like you know what we know what we want to do with this game we're just going to cut out the dungeons we're not doing dungeons or towns and they just that this time yeah so uh but in terms of like cutting out things that some people might consider you know necessary components they're, in this case, they're just cutting them out in terms of like, this is just a grid and battles, it seems oh, like. Yeah. I'm, so I am so interested in it. Uh, so it's coming it's out in just not even two weeks. Yeah. yeah, October 14th for PlayStation 4, Switch, and PC via Steam, and it's priced at 30 bucks. So, you know, I think it's really it's really cool for creators like Ito and Taro. You know, they're, they have like these brand new, very small scale projects that they're working on there, and they look interesting you know and they're, and they're coming out very very soon relative to when they were announced like you know voice of cards is also out at the end of this month they're uh, coming out within two weeks of each other too that's a yeah. lot of square Enix games coming out this and month and this isn't this isn't even uh like act razor just came out and yeah. came out of nowhere and like I, I i appreciate square enix you know square enix i think is more broadly known for you know high production value uh, games like Final Fantasy VII Remake and Kingdom Hearts, of course. But I, like they, they release, you know, this year they've done quite a few re-releases. You know, they had Legend of Mana and Saga Frontier Remaster. There's another Saga re-release coming also this month. Uh, they're doing these small, you know, more experimental games that Josh just mentioned in this. And like I appreciate that. So yeah, they're kind of they they have a good variety of products that they've been releasing. Um, so. And, you know, it's it's for old people like us. Uh, younger people won't appreciate, you know, just very simple <laughs> games. I like yeah, simple. Yeah, George. Um, what do you feel uh, about uh, Dungeon Encounters? It was lovely to see Adam so excited about it on Twitter. That's <laughs> what I feel. That's uh, literally my only opinion on it. <laughs> We did get another game announcement during Sega and Atlas's uh, Tokyo Game Show presentation. I guess for people who are thrown off of it, what he just said, like Sega and Atlas partners up with like smaller 
like devs and publishers like under like their umbrella for T- TGS presentations. This isn't like Sega and Atlas owns Nice now in Japan or whatever. It's just they partnered with them for the like, programming in TGS. Yes, it's kind of like how Falcom partners with Konami for the programming for their stuff. So yeah. So don't, anyway, don't, don't so, get too, so the, too thrown off by that. So the announced game is Shigabana Garai no Boku Meshi. I probably screwed that up, but Kite gave me a nice handy translation. It could be translated as to the Corpse Eater's Adventure Food. And then over at Gamatsu, they've tagged the they've translated the tagline of this game as eat everything and become stronger. An all new dungeon survival strategy RPG. Vibe. So uh, it's got an art style that looks like very similar to like a cross between like Disgaea and Labyrinth of Refrain. So it's very uh, clearly running on the new Disgaea 6 engine. Very oh, yeah. clearly. But, yeah, uh, which is which again, Disguise Six was the one where they where they went to like the 3D models, but still trying to evoke the feeling of the um of the original sprites. So yeah, a dungeon RPG where a very particular part of it is about preparing for a, a dungeon excursion by well, eating food. It's less a dungeon RPG. Well, it's kind of like a mix between a dungeon RPG and a strategy RPG, because apparently the way it works is is that you only really have like one encounter on each floor and like there's like a whole deal about like you can gather like ingredients and rations and whatnot on the floor you fight and then as soon as you head to a new floor you have like a camp menu and you can like cook and there's like like a bunch of different like buffs you can get based off what you cook and the gameplay loop really does seem to be okay um make your buffs gather stuff um gather ingredients um do your battle on the floor, head on to the next floor. And it seems like an interesting kind of spin on like two genres. And it's kind of like a weird mashup and it sounds really interesting. Yeah. The survival part of it, like, because as you're fighting enemies, like you'll, you'll spend up calories and hydration. And like, if you, if those like get too low, like you're like, you're basically your nutritional intake and hydration, like you'll have uh, your characters will do uh, poorer in battle because you're so like, drained uh physiologically it seems like a very very interesting premise for a game and i'll be honest i said in the past i feel like nis is at their best when they try something really different like part of the reason why i love labyrinth of galleria so much is it really changes things up from the first game uh they released mad rat dead last year which was just a ton of fun really cool like rhythm platformer mashup this looks like it's going to be cool and it's coming out in january in japan it's going to be localized. I feel like that's obvious. It's just a question of when that's going to be announced and if it's going to be closer to the Japanese release date or if it's going to be like months later or something like that. I'm sorry if this wasn't asked before, but has that game been announced for localization? The Labyrinth of Gal- Galleria? No. 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 Still not. <laughs> sorry to bring that Hopefully up. Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon because it did get a Switch version announced a few weeks back. So that's a good sign. But yeah, yeah, not yet. Not yet. Yeah, and Nifanichi going... has not given any details of the localization for for Corpse Eater's Adventure Food yet either. I'm willing to bet that this gets localized before Galleria. Mm. Its Japanese release date is January 27th of next year. So another one of those. But yeah, interesting premise, interesting art style. Let's see, a few other small TGS things. We got more details on 
another mech game. This is Megaton Musashi. This is the level five game that we've talked about on the stream a couple times. So they basically just detailed some more co-op gameplay for the upcoming title. Still doesn't officially have a um, English release date. It will be releasing in Japan on November 11th. I don't know if you paid attention to the stream, Josh or Adam, about Megaton Musashi, or if this was just kind of like more details uh, as we lead it within, we're within a month of release, of, or not almost a month of re- before that game releases. I didn't really pay attention to it too much. I mean, they showed off more of this customization and this gameplay. They showed off uh, uh, the multiplayer co-op mode in it. And, you know, they're, they're saying like, hey, there'll be like special interactions between certain pilots uh, in that mode. And then you can do like a flashy attack once per stage for for each person in that co-op mode. But, um, you know, it's it, it's at a difficult time, right? Because it's releasing at a time where it's like sandwiched between SRW, Undernaughts, a whole bunch of other RPG, and then like there's Shin Megami Tensei Five at the other end of that spectrum. And this is only a Japanese-only release. So I'm like, man, there's too many fucking games this year. I'm sorry. And and it's, it'll be ahead of a, a relayer next year as well that we just talked about. So yeah. Just mech, so mech. in terms of localization, it's 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 hard to be optimistic that anything level five will be localized. Like yeah. no. So it's a, it's at a, it's a, at a tough position. So I I wish I cared more about this. Maybe I'll watch the show uh, that's like uh, you know part of this project. But you know it's um not a not at a good time. Remember a couple weeks ago when we were talking about uh, Sega's mobile true RPG because it like oh, actually yeah. had like choices and uh, you can't go back on them and you actually ha- and Adam actually described it as almost being described like a Western RPG where you have like branching dialogue and it'll actually affect the story or whatever. Uh, that that RPG has a name now. It is now Sin Chronicle and it will release on December fifteenth in Japan. So. Uh, they also give us a few more details on the release, like some of the composers. It will have Kenji Ito and Hamazu on it and Shimomura. So it has quite a quite a stacked composing uh, cast on it. I don't know if cast is the right word. Team on it. Um, Main it composer also- is Kevin Penkin. And then a yeah. bunch of... Kevin Penkin is super talented. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he did. Uh, Made an Abyss, Rising of Shield Hero. Like, that, that's some of, like, some of the previous work that he's done. Like... You know that's immediately recognizable to fans. That actually makes me interested in this game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kevin Kevin Penkin is a, is a big deal. Uh, being his main composer, obviously you have, like you said, a lot of other very very talented Japanese composers uh, working on it. Yuzo Koshiro is also working on it as like a guest composer. Ah uh, shit! Um, is that going to be on Apple TV or is it phones only? Phones only in Japan. It's a, probably going to be. A, it's a successor to Chain Chronicle, so it's a gotcha game. Yeah. Uh, yep. Oh wow. Yep. So, and you know, Chain Chronicle did get localized here, uh, but it shut down shortly after uh, it came westward, um, which burned a lot of people. I don't know if Sega has any plans to do that. And they're kind of a mixed bag because they do like stuff like uh, DX2 Shin Megami Tensei Liberation and the Fist of the North Star Legends Revive game, which they both still have. I think both of them are synced up to their Japanese version and they're just one server now internationally but then you still have like stuff like sakura kakume which um both never got localized i got prematurely shut down but that was a sega property with the lightworks working on it um so it's kind of a mixed bag whether this will find a way westward um the thing about this game that's supposedly you know supposed to um make it stand out compared to other 
mobile gacha games is like they sort of have like uh, a unique ending per uh, per like you know per individual depending on like what players choose uh, like as they play the game. Like there's like choices that apparently affect the ending, which is like not something you really see in a gacha game. Uh, so I'm not sure what what to make of it. The way you they know, describe but, this is almost like a threat, where it's like it'll have an irreversible, non-linear story, and the progress will be permanently recorded on the player's account. It just yeah. reminds me of like it'll go on your permanent record or whatever. Yeah, like, you can't like, save scum anymore. Like it's a neat concept, but I mean, I wonder how it's going to pan out. But I I can't say I'm really too interested in this game because you know it's once again another mobile gacha game that's probably only going to be in Japan. It'll probably be noteworthy for its soundtrack but you know that's about it for you know my interest level i don't know it's like a game uh, like gotcha games from sega doesn't sound too pleasant based on what uh josh has explained to me yeah they uh i don't know yeah so i mean it's it i mean I'll, i'll be missing out on the real true rpg of our time so i'm sorry i'm not a real rpg gamer on a similar vein, we also got a trailer for the upcoming Echoes of Mana. This is the mobile game that was announced a few months ago, back in June, during the 30th anniversary stream for the Mana series. So this one got about a minute of gameplay footage of it. It kind of looks... If you did, if you told me to imagine in my head what a mobile Mana game would look like, that's what, that's what I see here. Um, so some more footage on that. It will be releasing in spring of next year. And this one, as far as I can tell, is also confirmed to be uh, real world. Yes, it is confirmed to release worldwide. It will be free to play. So while you're waiting for that new console Mana series game that they just barely teased was in development, we will have Echoes of Mana next year. So I wonder if this will be a worldwide simultaneous release. I forgot if they announced that or not. But it's 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 weird times. Like we just this past week, uh, Dragon Quest for the first time got its uh, its first worldwide. Uh, worldwide simultaneous release for a brand new Dragon Quest game this weekend. No one's talking about it. It's fucked up. Yeah, the mobile game that nobody cares about. That's fucked up, dude. <laughs> wow. Are you, are, you saying you don't, are you saying you don't want more dra- worldwide simultaneous Dragon Quest games? That's what I'm hearing. Also, this fuck. isn't really this isn't really like super insightful or anything, but like when you look at the trailer for that Sin Chronicle game, the Japanese trailer for it. The like dislike bar is not favorable, and like mobile games are more popular than ever now. But no matter if you're talking about a Japanese audience or a Western audience, I think the people who are like tuning into these TGS presentations, like the ones that are like, you know, really big into the gaming, you know, events and whatnot, they're not. They don't tend to be friendly towards mobile games. It seems so. Um, I'm sure the game will do fine. It's just that the most of the audience for a game like that probably isn't paying as much attention to TGS as like the people who are like, I want console games. As long as there is a small base of people that are that is willing to pay a shitload of money into it consistently, then it'll be okay. Yeah, the whales that, that spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on gacha games are the ones that are funding the console games. Yeah. Thank you, whales. Dude, like I, I think like for example, like not to sh- I'm not meaning to shit on this at all. Like Sega's most like profitable game right now do you know what it is yeah, it's the hasune miku mobile game oh. <laughs> really at the, the time of okay yeah, yeah it's coming project. to the west it's coming westward soon yeah well there you go it does seem a little bit 
I don't, maybe I don't know if insincere is the right word where they're like a new Sega RPG and we're going to describe like at a high level what our what our goal is and like the framework of this game about this non-linear story and then they turn around and say by the way it is a sequel to Chain Chronicle and it's also a gotcha game it just seems like oh like you, maybe you didn't lie but I feel like I was deceived <laughs> well, well, like, like Sean what do you think funded Type Lumina dude do you think, do you think- <laughs> it's like do you think they ever got that money from out of nowhere no. <laughs> think yeah. about the fucking six hundred dollars you put into an FGO character. Where do you think that money was spent? Wow. Yeah, I'm sure eighty percent went to the ex- executive's pockets, but I'm sure that twenty percent could fund Lumina, right? So. Yeah, that look, look at Ark's left arm, the sprite for it. Uh, like yeah, that, that's where your money went. Good job. Here's another game I'm actually really excited about, and not in a. Not in a kind of cheesy fashion like Stranger of Paradise. And that is Triangle Strategy. We already talked about how it's no longer Project Triangle Strategy. Uh, but we got another showing of the game uh, during Square Enix Presents at the Tokyo Game Show. Um, I think it's a really nice trailer for a strategy game, which we already talked about is kind of difficult to to market. Uh, but this game just evokes all the proper kind of nostalgic feelings that I have for Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre. Um, and I don't know. I feel like we already talked about this last week or the week before where I thought the demo had already sold me on this game. And any anytime I see more trailers of it, I'm just like, yep, still sold. So I still, I, another- I still applaud the, the, the uh, executives at Square Enix who greenlit the name Triangle, Triangle Strategy and Dungeon Encounters. They're like, yeah, you can go with that. It's <laughs> cool. Ugh. What's the nah, matter? You don't like it? I feel like I feel like I've whinged too much. It's, George, you're, you're hating so much on, on this. Podcast. What the fuck? Just just announce Kingdom Hearts. Make me happy again. Wait till October fifth. It might yeah, be a new they, Smash uh, character. Yeah, within a couple of days. Yes! Yeah. Nickelodeon Digital Stub Rule. That's all I care about. Not so you don't care about the final Smash character. All right. Got it. It's not Nobody gonna be Sora. Sora. <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna be Sora. That's that's ridiculous. What if it's Sora? Oh crap! I I will explode. I would literally like okay okay will you touch smash brothers i i love smash brothers will you touch will you play smash brothers if he's announced you know you haven't actually said that yet yes okay also right. sorry question is will he get rid of the wi-fi of his sores announced <laughs> oh my Ooh. god oh. i feel like you guys aren't giving Ooh. triangle strategy the attention it deserves <laughs> i'm sorry man. i'm sorry i'm talking like, about sora the, 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 the thought of, of george playing on wi-fi smash brothers with sora like physically hurts me for the other person fighting it's like what the fuck the net code of this game is already fucking ass Ugh. <laughs> Okay, Sora's announced will change. Anyway, <laughs> Triangle Strategy. Oh, so we already got the release date for this game back at the Nintendo Direct, uh, March 4th, worldwide. Um, and then this is a story trailer that's only in Japanese. At least I don't think an English version has been released. But This is pretty I close do... to Stranger of Paradise, then, in terms of release date. It's very close. Mm-hmm. My, uh. I, I really think that I've already kind of talked in a different, a few different places about how I do like the HD 2D style, but there's things about it that I'm not 100% on board with, but I really do think that the spell effects in this game look really nice. So, probably my favorite part of it. This trailer has like a straight minute, maybe not a minute, 40 seconds of that is just like spell effects. And I think they all just look really nice. They work in this style beautifully. It'd be amazing. I yep. want it to be amazing. We got a couple details for 
some existing games during the Xbox uh, TGS presentation. And one of those is that something that I think several people had called uh, a while ago is that Scarlet Nexus is now available on Game Pass. So we kind of talked about this game at length when it came out, and it was kind of one of those surprisingly favorable, not not game of the year caliber, but a re- like a game that you probably shouldn't miss uh, for this year, at least based on just some of the interesting things it does and uh, a strong showing for a new IP. Uh, and they did also give a few more details on the upcoming DLC that they've teased about like the enhanced, uh, the, the additional bond levels and some other free updates, including like the tweaks to the, to the combat and all those other things. As far as I can tell, those things still aren't dated. Nope. They just keep they just keep giving us details about new Bond episodes or uh, or things like that, but um, yeah, yeah, they, it'll probably just land one day. Like, here it is, yeah. maybe but even like next week. Who knows? Five to six months after its initial launch, that it's coming to Game Pass. Uh, I wonder if if Arise will get a similar treatment, and like we'll see it sometime early next year on Game Pass. I wonder if this is going to be like a new loop for. Bandai Namco, in terms of like, okay, well, yeah, get the, get those day one sales, and then yeah. after that, take the Game Pass, you know, partnership. Yeah, so. I, I think I think it becomes a concern though, like if, we, if this becomes too predictable, and like more people will just wait for the for it to come to Game Pass, which leads to smaller upfront sales because like they're just expecting it like half a year later or so for free, essentially. Tucked away in this news post, we sort of just blocked them together. Also. Uh, AI the Somnium Files is on Xbox now. Yeah, it wasn't before, right? It just yeah, kind correct. of landed on Xbox and it's on Game Pass too. Which uh, the sequel was announced for Xbox. That's AI, I forget what it's called. Like the Nirvana, Nirvana. yeah, yeah. I think so, we all expected the first one to come to Xbox before the sequel, and I'm pretty sure most people also expected it to probably be a Game Pass uh, drop because yeah, it just I makes mean, sense. I yeah. think it's cool. Uh, yeah, the, if you have Game Pass and you want to check out a really good game, go, go play AI Insomnium Files. And if you want to play, play it on AI. Xbox instead of playing it on uh, Switch, I, I, I'm never going to forgive uh, Colin for tri- tricking me. <laughs> <laughs> the Colin wanna, Switch recommendation. One of my favorite thing about this is that one of the things that we thought that I think we all unanimous, unanimously thought that Scarlet Nexus didn't do well was like its challenges. Like basically they were just in its quests because they were very, very boilerplate, very filler. And then they say new challenges and I've got like the the trailer paused and it's more of the same where it's like complete quest 19 times, destroy a thousand units, reach a playtime of 30 hours. And I'm just like, these are challenges. Like, come on, like I don't need these in-game achievements for like complete 50 challenge goals but there i guess was one they, that was there was a one of the challenges i saw i forget where it was mentioned was like get to the max level and i remember well, there was an achievement to getting to level 80 that felt like it was stretching it like there's you would never need to get this high a level like going higher than this i don't know like, maybe some of the new challenges give a bunch of exp i don't know but it, it feels like kind of artificially like like the most weakest way you could possibly try to extend the content in the game like oh Okay. Yeah, I just want uh, hopefully maybe a sequel announcement next year or something, and then yeah, I, I think at this point, uh, but I want out of Scarlet Nexus is just like a brand new story uh, to continue the uh, up upon the events of its ending. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't played it yet, uh, it's on Game Pass. Pretty cool. Yeah. 
We did also get a new trailer for Shin Megami Tensei 5 revealing the game's English voice cast. And my favorite part about this trailer is is that I only recognize about half the names, which whenever I'm thinking about English voice cast in these games, that's kind of like the more names I recognize, the less confidence I have in it. It's just like something that they put on their itinerary like, oh, look, it's a. Johnny Young Bosch again, or, or whoever, or Bryce Pappenbrook again. But at least it's better than this one thing we saw from was it Astra Ascending, where please play in the Japanese dub. Oh yeah, apparently uh, the English version. We, of that did, is we didn't mention that. <laughs> Who was that from? So yeah, back to Astra Ascending. There was a notification from the game itself, from the publisher saying, "No, it was." Like- so when they when they sent the review code, whenever a company sends a review code, not only do they give like, "Here's when you can post it," but sometimes they give you know, "Here's some tips and tricks," and here's some information about the game. And for Astra Ascending, I've never seen this before. Because usually they advertise like, oh, we have both English and Japanese voices, so pick what you like. But here they're like, we highly recommend picking the Japanese voices. It's just like, I've never seen yeah, that where like, they basically like, old, please don't play in English. Like, I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on with this game? Yeah, and apparently, but... according to uh, Quentin's uh, review, the vo- English voices, not, maybe they just picked a bunch of like literal amateurs, because I don't know, like. You can, you can be amateurs or job. voice direction or yeah something that clearly awry uh, on that. But end. anyways, back to Brian's point about Shimigami Tensei Five. I actually I don't remember if I mentioned this on a podcast, but one of the things about Tales of Arise that sort of irked me just a bit, like the voice acting in that game is good, but it's just like a bunch of actors I've heard like a hundred times, and it's just like oh, okay, it's Ray Chase again. I like Ray Chase, but I've heard him like earlier this year and near. And he's just kind of everywhere now. It feels like, um, and then, but in the Shimigami Tensei, just a bunch of you know actors. Some of them I heard of for. They all seem like they're professional. Like they have a bunch of anime roles and things like that. But they're not so prevalent that it's like, you know, like it's fresh blood. And it's just like that's interesting to me. Yeah, so the name is good. Yeah, so the names I recognize are. It does have Erica Linebeck. It does have Chris Hackney. Um, it does have Laura Post, and it does have Damon Mills. Those, those just, I know I just ran about, read it off like four random names, but those are like the names that I mo- most recognize. The protagonist is voiced by Casey Mangilo or Mangilo, uh, who I was not aware of this, but they were the voice of Shinji for Netflix's redub of Evangelion. So oh, I, I wonder how much protagonist actually like talks. <laughs> that's that's true. It might just be battle stuff. I don't know, uh, but. I did see that several people saw that name and I wasn't rec- I didn't recognize it, but they saw that and they said perfect casting because I guess they're basing it on the Shinji dub and for that version of Evangelion. So I'm like, all right, uh, that's the sort of thing I'm excited for is to kind of just experience a new voice actor doing uh, a major role like this. Uh, and then a lot of other names here that I don't recognize at all, which is always, you know, it's exciting. So and then ba- the trailer itself, on that I- note. On that note, uh, I forget his name. I'll actually try to look it up here. Um, in Shimagami Tensei Nocturne, uh, one of the main characters in that is Hikawa, and he's kind of like this, kind of like this detached but dangerous kind of villain in the game. And he's not necessarily like imposing, but he's just kind of like the type of person. Once you, if you speak to him, like he is really determined, and you don't want to like mess with him. He will do whatever it takes to get what he wants. He is voiced by Connor Fogarty in English who does not have many roles at all. And I thought he did like a great job yeah, and stuff was- like that. I'm that I'm interested to see. I also don't recognize the voice of the guy that looks like Raidu. 
Um, he's being voiced by Ben LaPlay, which who I don't recognize. So I'm like, oh, I wonder how he's going to pull off that role. Because uh, I kind of have like a voice in my head for that character, but I have no idea like what they're going to end up like, other than a few lines that are in the trailer. So uh, it's interesting to see like the kind of the divergence in like how the voice cast is being uh, handled, both in the Japanese and Japanese, or, or the English and Japanese tracks for SMT5. Like in the, the Japanese cast list for SMT5 is like, like basically an all-star cast list, like very big names, very recognizable, very popular uh, ones for Shin Megami Tensei Five, you know. And you know, just personally for me, I really like a lot of those actors and actresses uh, in that in that you know tra- tra- cast list. So I'll be going for the Japanese, you know, voiceovers for my playthrough SMT Five. But it's I've heard so much of this game in Japanese. I kind of just like, oh yeah, there are the English is an option. Yeah, yeah. And forgot. It's, cool. it's cool to see that like that the for the English side they're going with this route because they you know in the in the Japanese side like there are still like Kyoto Animation for example like that's a studio that usually when they make projects they usually they have a tendency to hire like voice actors and actresses that don't have like a lot of um, like previous roles not always not an all star cast they could be like complete newbies complete like fresh talent and that's one of the things that makes that studio stand out in the uh the anime space uh, over there so it's really cool to see that you know that sort of um philosophy applied here a couple of the release or sorry one more release date and this is something that i know uh colin was really interested in and that's disco elysium the final cut releases for xbox yeah, yeah. oh i thought this was for the switch release when's the switch release uh, they announced <laughs> the, the switch day. release it's during weird. So Disco release in the Final Cut, they announced the Switch release during the Nintendo Direct for October 12th. And then like a few days later, they just sort of randomly announced, oh yeah, it's also coming to Xbox on October 12th as well. So yeah, so, so hopefully it doesn't have the same problems that it originally did on PlayStation. So this feels like it's kind of just a repeat of last week, only replace Switch with Xbox. Maybe we'll get Colin on the game. cast to see if he uh, ends up having the same takeaway that uh, Adam and uh, George did. He's like, yeah, it's great. And then he's like, we just, you just hear fire in the background. It's like, oh, that's my switch. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and finally, this was not one we expected, but it's good news. Uh, Code Vein from Bandai Name Co. and the God Eater Studios, or God Eater team, has surpassed 2 million units. That game, I think, was kind of like a game that a lot of people were really... I know that it's kind of set some like Steam sales charts really high. It like overperformed there more than they expected. Uh, and a lot of people were kind of he- testing it as like a high watermark for Scarlet Nexus, which didn't quite reach. So yeah, 2 million for a game like that is actually, I think, quite remarkable, um, especially when you compare it to like what other Tales games or similar sorts of uh, JRPG action games have sold. Not many hit 2 million, at least not until recently. So 2 million for Code I Bane. I have not played Code Bane, but my like, what I gather is that the game itself doesn't seem like it's like absolutely fantastic, but if you want like a Souls-like game with an anime aesthetic, people were sort of like, hankering for that for a while before code bane was released like i want to play this sort of action game i don't like the realistic dreary aesthetic or of you know dark souls um so code vein sort of just like perfectly like aligned itself to fit in that niche and people you know appreciate it for that at the very least some people of course i'm sure love the game but it just kind of like fit this subgenre sort of perfectly uh, aligned itself just to that for people well, I, who I, basically I think you, hoping for a game just like this. 
I think you saw something similar when Monster Hunter first went to PC. Just the yeah. the cooperative action, the cooperative aspect of it, um, the mm-hmm. multiplayer kind of focus for it, ended up just being like a a really good match for that platform. Where a single player RPGs might do better on the consoles, like, like completely haunt, like no choice single player RPGs. But yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I do wonder if they're, if they're going to revisit Code Vein since it was such a success, or you know, if it's just going to be a one and done. No idea. All right, that covers it based on everything that we had had already published and put up uh, on RPG site covering Tokyo Game Show. I do know that it still had like one day left before we came up with this podcast uh, itinerary. Was there anything else that had come out of the streams or anything that Adam or Josh, whoever else woke up at ungodly hours, uh, wanted to chime in on or maybe maybe a presentation of a stream or a certain publisher that had a good presence or anything like that? Uh, I'll hand it off to Adam first. Um, The Koei Tecmo stream was like the last one for... You know, this previous day of TGS, which announced Atelier Sophie, which we covered. There's one more day of TGS. Um, usually the last day is probably the least interesting. I'm uh, looking at the schedule now. Uh, Ubisoft is there. They're obviously not Japanese. Genshin Impact, they're going to maybe show more stuff there. Uh, Arc System Works, there's a Sword Art Online stream. I know, actually, if you're a Sword Art Online fan, the, the Alicization game is getting DLC. Uh, that game released last year. The the DLC has been announced for a while, but they haven't like shown it. So I imagine they will. So, you know, there's a few things that might come out in like tonight, but I don't think there's anything else that yeah, we haven't just, covered. The, that There's this mysterious S game. Oh yeah. S game. RPG uh, stream. That I guess I'll, I'll catch and see what the fuck that is about. Yeah. Um, I guess that that's the one that sparks my interest. Cause I just don't know anything about it, but in terms of like what people should watch in terms of, uh, TGS because it's all archived on YouTube and uh, whatnot. Um, definitely check out the the talk between uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi and Naoki Yoshida. Uh, and they didn't announce anything particularly, but they really have different interesting like philosophies on like RPGs from back then and our how RPGs now is now like uh, Sakaguchi just barely starting FF14 and like what his thoughts are on it and whatnot and you know the the only speck of information that we got is like yoshida's like yeah we're still working on ff16 you know we'll we'll show it when we're ready to show it that's basically it but it's a it's you know if you like rpgs and you know obviously hopefully you like rpgs if you're listening to this podcast uh, check that out and that covers it for everything we had coming out of TGS. So we knew that this was going to be a big one, and it was. Again, we have those reviews and impressions up on the site for Astria Ascending, Mary Skelter, and Neo The World Ends With You's PC port. All the Tokyo Game Show news is up on the site as well. We are also on all the social media platforms. We're up on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram under RPG site. And we're here with this podcast uh, every week. So thank you for listening. You've made it to the end. Uh, until next time. Stay safe, take care, and we'll talk to you then. Later, everyone.